Hello. Hi, it's Angela. Angela? FedEx Ship Software had you signing for that disc three minutes ago. What took you so long? Well, I was having way too much fun with this Mozart's ghost. Oh, by the way, I sent you a whopper of a virus for your Hall of Fame. Just be a little careful with the escape button. Look, uh, here's the problem. Pop yourself into concert information. Houston Utilities. Um, Dale, I think you took a wrong turn here. Not quite Ticketmaster, is it? See anything unusual? Mm, no, it looks like a normal web page to me, except for that little, is that a little icon at the bottom of the screen? Click on it and then press Control-Shift. Oh my God. So, what do you make of all this? Simple, it's a, it's a programming glitch. It's just a futz keystroke that sent you to the wrong internet address, that's all. Last night it sent me to Amtrak Central Mainframe, and then the Mayo Clinic, neither of them on the same subject. Oh boy, Dennis, what did we do here? Uh, I was beginning, you know, I think that this was the movie where I started regretting the summer blockbuster. Awesome. Uh, trying to- <laughs> okay, uh, I know we're like uh, on this podcast where this is podcast uh, sec ops, I think, where we have this like cultural tenet of not laying blame, but who... Whose idea was it to do the net? I think that came from the audience, right? Uh, Although I would believe that I had recommended it because uh, I just I always remember. Yeah, I gotta I gotta own up to it. I think if it didn't come from the audience, okay. I, I was the person that threw it up. Uh, guys, on the anybody listening out here that is thinking, oh, maybe I'll just check out the podcast for a little bit and then maybe I'll watch the movie. Don't watch the movie. This movie is bad. Not good. In fact, I think we should maybe take a minute and try to think of everything we liked about this movie. <laughs> I'm not sure it'll take more than a minute, but uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll start off. It's not hard to figure out why the world fell in love with Sandra Bullock in this movie is what I'll say. Uh yeah, she's yeah. She was she was uh, such a powerhouse in the '90s, and I remember watching this movie. Yeah, and like this movie did really well in the box office. It, I'm looking I, at. I mean, despite I obviously uh, America loved Sandra Bullock uh, at the time because holy holy smokes, <laughs> even I mean, okay, uh, the movie has got some some issues. Uh, and anyway, more things that, uh, did you like anything about this movie? Um, it was like, not really hard to follow. Uh, <laughs> I think what I like the uh, most about it is that the same, it had the same, uh, building hack interface that was used at hack. It's okay. like as uh, the hackers high school, uh, maybe she accesses the fire. Oh, the computers, system. the computer stuff wasn't hard to maybe understand cause it was totally fake and bonkers but the movie itself the plot is really hard to understand like who is the bad guys and what are they doing i thought i had a real hard time keeping track of hmm. no you didn't have that all right well let me uh well no i mean i want to like bad guy in this movie <laughs> bad guys in this movie are we sort of have the real world bad guy in devlin right the the terrorist assassin Right? Uh-huh. slash He's, seducer. Okay. But he is just a pawn in this game of 
something. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> game of something. Uh, I actually thought that it was it, it was kind of interesting. Um, so so the bad guy are the owners of the gatekeeper software. Right, That's right, who right. the bad guys. Now are. we're just getting into the movie. Okay. I, well, I think I mean, that you're right. Guys. But there's a lot of unexplained stuff there. Like, why do the bad people work at Cathedral? I Oh, and also, we did the get thing of, like, man, War Games is the original, uh, the OG hacker movie, right? Mm-hmm. And Sneakers is the OG red teaming movie. You should be pretty happy about this, right? Because this is the OG QA movie. <laughs> Right, that's her skill set. She is a like a Q, a, a quality exploratory tester for software quality, right? Yeah, that's what it's. I mean, her official title is like program systems analyst. But yeah, I think in the nineties we didn't have uh, names yeah, didn't <laughs> nailed have down yeah. on what people. Are. I think everybody was a systems analyst, and I don't think security. But uh, okay, yeah, so. Maybe let's let's get into this opening scene, which I also was interested in your take on because this is uh, your hometown, huh? My movie hometown. opens up, yeah. Movie opens up in DC. Oh, that's right. Yes, movie opens up. That's right. Hard, Following hardcore the, um... DC. He's on the Capitol, and then I think he even gives up. I mean, the George. That's the George Washington Parkway is where he goes. Like some park off of that. All right, George all right. Washington Parkway. Yeah, I used to ride uh, drive that all the. Uh, all the time going to and from work <clears throat> and you know what you're you're right because uh and i'd been at that statue that awakening that's statue. that's what i was gonna ask you about that statue looked really cool i had never seen that before i've kind of you know i've ridden uh, around yeah there, gonna, going to Dallas airport or something but that was cool um and it's a place a that photo. makes you think yeah i mean i guess it's a it's a lovely place to i mean <laughs> what's the What's the first scene here? Somebody, uh, he's the undersecretary of defense. Is this the second time that we have undersecretaries? Wasn't somebody else in one of these movies the undersecretary of something? I don't, I don't, I don't know. It seems familiar, like undersecretary. Mm, That could have Um, only been from War Games then, if that was. No, I I don't know. But, uh, okay. So the undersecretary of defense gets a phone call from his doctors and gets, Get some news, which on the surface, he takes very well. He takes this news very well. We don't know what it is. We can't hear the doctor side of the call, but he's just like, right, hey, are you, uh, are you sure about that? Okay. Well, um, thanks. Thanks for letting me know. And that's all we hear at this point. Yeah. Then he drives to a park and uh, immediately pulls a revolver out, and it's a very – a very jarring opening to this scene, but at least he does it in this uh, beautiful park. Uh, cut to cute little L.A. neighborhood, Venice, I suppose. I'm uh, not a huge L.A. guy, but uh, my research tells me Venice from watching the movie, the rest of the movie, and seeing that Venice is on her uh, <laughs> on some of her paperwork later on. Mm, keen eye. We are it got a little skylight, a helicopter shot. Now people just do this with drones, but this was an expensive shot, don't you think? <laughs> uh, I guess I do take that for granted. Yeah, they're, they're coming in a skylight. They zoom down, and also my grandpa always told me never get a skylight because they always leak. 
like never buy a home with skylight. This is, I was like nine. Right. And my grandpa was like, Hey, when you buy a home, cause he, he knew he wouldn't be around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I definitely have a skylight at home. Oh. <laughs> I feel bad about it. I'm like, Oh, grandpa, come on. Oh you my gosh. The one piece of advice that he tried to pass on. Uh, you know, he passed on a lot of advice. Uh, okay. don't, don't belittle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the skylight zoom down. There's a couple of computers side by side on a desk probably looked intense to see two computers side by side at the time nowadays work from home tech industry boom um this place is lousy with computers that i'm sitting in right now oh my gosh i just so remember i walked into my older brother's room he they were like in college at the same time still at this one point living uh still at home Right, mm-hmm. one was on college break, the other was going to a local college. I walked into their room, and there was two computers at opposite ends. And my brother's just like, "Look, it's like the USS Enterprise." Just because <laughs> there was two computers in the same which room, which is which is her setup. Oh, yeah, she's playing. What is she playing? Your Wolfenstein gamer? 3D. Yeah. Oh, love that game. Um, that m- monitor she has. This so this was interesting to me. It's a Radius monitor. Mm-hmm. And I looked this up. Radius made Mac peripherals, like OEM Mac stuff. So if you didn't want to buy Apple stuff, they were one of the few options that made decent quality other stuff. Okay. Right. So that's what she's got. So she's got a Mac, a power PC, and then on the other side of the desk, she has a compact. But she's playing Wolfenstein on this Mac. Post-it notes on the monitor. I hate that. I hate post-it notes in general. You put it. Okay, putting it on the side of the monitor, first defense. Putting it on the screen, get out of here. You know? Yeah, but I, first off, I disagree with you. I love post-it notes, oh but not on the monitor and certainly not on the screen. Okay, oh Post-it notes have a time and a place. And Where are you it's putting not on your computer notes? monitor. Just stop with the post-it notes. Either remember it or put it in your <laughs> phone or get a classy journal, something. I this, The post-it notes have got to stop. Uh, okay. Here's, here's the bug in this program. There's a escape key kicks off, uh, what she calls a virus, but, oh, no, 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 no. The first one is she calls somebody, uh, Hey, uh, what's the deal with this game? It's as bloodthirsty as it gets. I thought it was very little blood going on. I thought maybe the blood was turned down on Wolfenstein. Um, but on the, it's like some little uh, escape key runs some code. It's a virus. Who knows what it is? Um, they mentioned the security program Gatekeeper, right? So they don't, the guy didn't think it was because they just, they just bought Gatekeeper, right? Mm-hmm. Probably the most realistic tech stuff in this movie is right here. That's maybe a theme is like that first computer scene generally tends to be the most accurate, if not the most compelling. And she's doing some work here that I think it's a reasonable approximation of using a hex editor to edit a binary. But here's my question to you. She's talking to the company that wrote the software, correct? Her client is this guy on the other side of the phone. True? Mm-hmm. That's, that was my understanding. I mean, if she found a virus, good. Why wouldn't they just recompile from source? 
Like, why is she and why, why it seems risky to me to have her edited hacked together binary be what's being sent to the like CD press <laughs> to make a million copies or whatever of this game, you know? Well, that was unclear. Okay. So I will say you are right. Your initial comment of some things being confused in this movie. Absolutely. Okay. This one, you this, think is this was go. a part of it too. Cause I was like, what is she cataloging? just the virus fragment part of this? Like what exactly she is saving on that disc? So I thought that she was cutting to make a clean version and then, you know, and then copying the virus, the disc, just because she has her friend Dale, who's interested in viruses. This was a thing. Security enthusiasts at the time were interested in these viruses and you could like order collections of viruses from, um, you know, BBSs or you could download, you know, you could yeah. download collection CDs. And also back then these, uh, these, I mean, uh, whatever the crowd, you know how the crowd compute, uh, pluralized computer virus. You know what the plural of computer virus was no. at the time? Computer viri. <laughs> Classy, right? I don't like that. Okay, so she hex, okay, but hacks real up to, quick, oh, go ahead, real yeah, quick, go real ahead. quick. Also, yeah, only remember, four hours to go this, on this. I know, no kidding. Okay, yeah, we're, this one I don't want to spend <laughs> more real, time let's, talking let's, about let's, this movie. Let's deep. Let's than the deep actual runtime. Uh, okay, well, let's deep in whatever you got to say here. Okay, well, I'm, I'm just gonna be quick. I don't think that she's cleaning up the binary. I think that it is just the virus on here because remember later, this shipped di- disc comes into play. Remember? And if it was cleaned... It's not... I think that that's... She just has that disc, no? You think that that... That disc... Because the disc is red. By the way, it's... We should say that it's starring Sandra Bullock, Sandy B, Mm -hmm. and co-starring three and a half inch floppy disks. (laughs) So it's Sandy B's (laughs) principal character component antagonist with a three and a half inch floppy disk. Yes. Okay. But remember, she puts that red disc in the computer at the Moscone Center, the the one that she sticks in the FedEx package. Right. Yeah. So she's disc. got that disc. Yes, I agree. She has the virus, but she gets the, okay. And we can talk, talk about it later. She got that virus off of Dale's desk later because she Correct. sends it to Dale Correct. via FedEx. Okay. Yep. Okay. So that, I know that that disc contains the virus, but you're a client. She founds a virus in this thing. And you're, the guy asks her before he really presses her on a dinner on the verge of like inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, do you think we're going to make it to shipping on Friday? Meaning, I mean, they would just go back, compile the thing from clean source uh, without it. this I, virus I from it yep, yep, yep. and use that to press. You don't need anything from her. She figured out that it's not the code in the thing. It's some virus that got attached to the media. It was. I mean, this virus is not in the code. This virus is in the media, right? No, I mean, these none of these viruses seem Dude, like that. This is Sandra B, Sandy B, doing CICD before it was popular. Just getting in there, changing oh, some yeah. code, immediately this, trying yes. to get this thing okay. ready for deployment. Okay. All right. There's a compact nexter. It still looks a little Macish on the interface, but here's the big thing. I think that this is why you made us watch this awful movie. This I know pizza it is. interface. Yes. Talk to me about the pizza interface. It's amazing. The, that pizza interface looks better than any pizza way that I can order pizza right now in 2021. I, I mean, wish did you I research had this pizza. pizza interface at all? No. This Okay. God. I mean, come on. <laughs> this did not exist. 
It was like three years before you can order an online pizza. Head of its game. This is the first time the world thought about ordering a pizza via the internet. And I looked at this pizza.net. It, 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 it doesn't seem to be a thing anymore, at least, of like anybody who like go – like I was always like, I wonder if anybody snagged that domain. But this pizza.net thing before reality, it does have a nice little graphical interface. It's similar, I think, to your – I mean, I'm not commenting on pizza, but you fire up a good pizza ordering interface right now. It's going to show you a picture of that sausage when you click the sausage button. It's going gonna, it's gonna to show you what it looks like. Yeah, you know? maybe now, maybe in the past yeah. few years. Not, okay. not back in 1995. Okay, she makes herself a cocktail while she's waiting for a pizza. What is the cocktail here? Is the Gibson. Okay, second Gibson. The first Gibson was the supercomputer in Hackers, and now <laughs> we've got basically James Bond's cocktail here. Uh she uses a remote to turn on a Sony monitor fireplace. Here's how this would work. We used to have these little serial port RS-232 IR blaster interfaces. So it connected to a serial port and it basically, it would decode and translate IR code to serial. And then you could run a little program on the back end of that mm. as an event handler and like launch different. So she would just launch the very, I mean, shout out to modern monitor technology. It's so painful to go back and look at old screens and stuff like that, oh. but that's what this is. Uh, so a little fireplace and doesn't seem that cozy to me. Never been a guy that, that turned on the, uh, <laughs> the you're not flat on like screen this, this, fireplace yeah. streaming on Netflix. The old Yule log. I have watched some Yule log. I guess I should say. Uh, cut to the pizza and okay, help me out. You're you're a candy monster. Are these fake M and M's or are these just Reese's pieces? Why don't they have the M and M's written on them? I think you know? that these are off brand, off brand M and M's. Wow, that surprises don't me. Yeah, maybe They're it's I, yeah. Uh, Maybe, maybe you put them in some ice cream or something just as a mix-in. But yeah, I'm not going to be eating those popping. Also, that's where the off-brand I think. Are- Psychopaths what? and people that have peanut allergies are the only people that should be eating plain M&Ms, right? <laughs> and also, yes. I think there's a heavy overlap between that. I mean, I, shout out to all our peanut f- people out there that can't eat peanuts. I feel, I'm sorry, but... Peanut M Ms are delicious. A peanut butter M M&M delicious. Man. Oh, I love peanut butter. I'm M&M. I'm, I'm on this low carb thing, so it's like watching this movie's torture. <laughs> Although what didn't what was helpful, the pizza had anchovies. I'm out. Yeah. Um, she she file she fires up this very ugly web chat interface called CyberChat. Uh, maybe it was a thing. This I think they just want things more to look more graphical. Um, so that maybe it's a little bit more accessible. And to add to that, they use what is supposed to be like an impersonation of a computer voice, Mm -hmm. text-to-voice translation. Really, they did that, I saw in a separate thread. That's just, they had people really record that, and then they messed with their voice, you know, through a digitization filter type of thing. Ah, okay. Because what I was like, oh, it's rare for even a text-to-speech interface today to be like have multiple voices. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like you do it when you're driving or, you know, my Siri, by the way, Australian mode. <laughs> Are you using Australian Siri? 
No, I really it's, you, Siri, haven't nice. haven't messed with her voice. So just even like for maps or something like that. You're, well, back it, in the, I would say uh, <laughs> driving around in Ubers, like oh, pre, that's right, you hate to drive. Yeah, so. pre-pandemic, um, I noticed Medea people using several. I had several Uber drivers that were using the Medea <laughs> voice for their maps. Okay. I yeah, remember Schwarzenegger I, was a thing for a while. Yeah. Uh, okay. So they use this vocoder voice, multiple different people. Her handle is Angel. We never gave you a handle. In the Hackers episode, we were like, Dennis, we got to give you a handle. And uh, never got it. Uh, <laughs> then there's Iceman, uh, classic throwback to, I assume, Top Gun, Top Gun, which when is Top Gun 2 coming out? We don't know. Keeps pushing back. Real, real painful summer. I mean, you're waiting 35 years for Top Gun 2. They announce it. You wait five years when it's being made. Ah, yeah, let's push this back a year. Let's push it back a month. <laughs> let's push it. Come on, guys. Let's see Top Gun 2. Let's go. Let's get, let's get Top Gun 2 streaming on Disney+. Plus. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Start the cut, petition. Cut into Tom Cruise's back end like, you, like we did. Uh, hey, it's not a political podcast. Uh, <laughs> her, her handle is Angel. Uh, then Cyber Bob. Very classic. Mm-hmm. You should be Cyber Dead. That's I your new handle. I definitely do not want that. Your new handle is Cyber Dead. <laughs> no. Okay. She uses R, uh, like the letter R to abbreviate R, uh, which makes sense because she's a pretty poor typist, not even really pulling off fake typing. And like, I mean, just slow by today's standards. Maybe this was reasonable for somebody in the nineties that worked in computers, but very early example of uh, crappy internet grammar, like almost leet speak. And she says she's going on vacation. Cyberbob's flirting. Sandy B says, describes her perfect man. And she says, butch, beautiful, brilliant captain America meets Albert Schweitzer. And then uh, there's some of this one of us. It reminded me of that little, uh, what is it, Toy Story where they're like, one of us, one of us. Okay, you know what that's really from? Yeah, what? That is from a, like, I feel like it's 1950s, no, maybe even 1940s movie, Freaks. Have you ever ever seen this movie about uh, carnival sideshow freaks? Oh, I have heard you talk about a book or the movie. It definitely would have been the movie, and okay. there is a famous scene where they're all sitting around a dinner table, and they're all chanting, one of us, one of us, Google, <laughs> gobble, Google, gobble, and then like, anyway, it's a uh, very intense, yes, scary yeah. scene. The whole movie is quite scary, all right. but anyway. As is this movie. Scary as to why are they making this movie? What are the motivation between the producers and directors? Uh, cut to an older woman playing the piano. Sandy B is there to visit her mom, who sadly we very quickly learn has dementia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then later we find out it's Alzheimer's. Uh, she brought mom some chocolates. I hope she didn't cheap out like she did on the M&M's. Mom struggles to recognize who she is. Then Sandy plays the piano. Her name is Angela. I'll probably be calling her Sandy throughout this thing. Does anybody care? No, I don't think so. For somebody, you know, like, you know, your mom is like struggling. She starts giving her mom some pretty intense while I'm gone instructions. I thought 
right? <laughs> She's like, hey, if I'm not here, uh, you can call the hotel at 551-242. It's like, hey, your mom's got some memory issues. Maybe you shouldn't be pressing like this. Uh, yeah, I know. Just leave she, the instructions but, at the desk. Know, maybe she's holding out hope, man, that she's going to okay. get better. Um, and then her mom forgets who she is again. Uh, that's not funny. It's just like, like, just in contrast to how complicated she was trying to make the conversation. Cut to FedEx. This is a thing. A couple of FedEx deliveries in this whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, wasn't it also FedEx in Hackers or was it UPS? It was UPS maybe. I think it was UPS, wasn't it? Was weren't we commenting on the UPS like driver's PDA that he was using to digitally? Sign yeah, the- th- that PDA was more advanced than this PDA, and they were shot, you know, maybe within a year each with with each other. So this was just like a barcode scanner beep. But they did make a comment that says, "So caught you signing for the thing three minutes ago. What's taking you so long?" Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, FedEx is knocking on the door. Uh, she's she books her flight on what I thought was a pretty good approximation of like the current flight booker seats. Like same. I, that's what I was guess. I, yeah, again, that's I good. That, the that was forethought. So okay, positive things. It predi- it did a reasonable job predicting ordering pizza mm-hmm. about twenty five years in the future and booking your seats about twenty five years in the future. We'll say she's going on vacation tomorrow and she's buying her ticket tonight. Seems odd. Like she's not a planner. Yeah, I guess. But she has the to-do list. We'll get to the to-do list in a second. So she's talking to Dale, who is her friend that corrects viruses, their colleagues, and she just uh, cleaned up this one virus. And she's got uh, she's off the project, so she's got. But she's leaving for vacation tomorrow morning at noon. But Dale calls her up and says, uh, "Hey, you just got this FedEx thing. Pop it in your floppy drive." Uh, she fires it up and it is seemingly the worst go, the worst game. If it's a game and a terribly annoying little pep song at the beginning. It's awful. It's not a game. It's like some sort of, it's like, this is a real band. Doesn't it say the greatest band on the internet or something? I don't think it's a real band. I mean, of course, <laughs> I'm almost it's sure. not a real band, but that's the gimmick. Cause it's like, go to the concerts thing, click on this keyboard. That Oh, that is it thing. supposed to be maybe an interface that you can. It's like, remember to, those really He does say something graphical, about Ticketmaster. He makes some yeah, Ticketmaster. Yeah, it's like a, like, remember those real annoying media rich, like how that, that used to be how websites were like in the late nineties, kind of like early two thousands, like every also, icon okay. sort of jiggled and made for, a sound. For, let's just make the statement for a movie called the net. I don't think that they send one file in this entire movie. I think it's all floppy disk exchange. They use very little network technology oh, in this movie. Well, <laughs> that is very, that is, that is true. I guess it was only until the climax is when there, there was a, it's a minimum. A file. Yes. There's a minimum amount of yes. file transfer involved. So she calls her buddy at HQ. This is Dale. He walks her through a bug. So she navigates to concert information and it sends her immediately to Houston electric utilities. Yeah. I guess a prediction, right? Didn't we have like a hacker thing there? Was that was that a hacker thing? Pipeline? Is there some pipeline over there? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. That was like in North Carolina. I don't, but you know. Yeah. Okay. He asked her if she sees anything unusual, and she says, "Well, there's a little pie symbol in the lower right corner." Um, he says, "Click." 
click control shift mm -hmm. and then click it and click that pie symbol. And then we get hackers level screen flashing. Now this is not even a virus, right? This is just code. It's backdoor code in this mm -hmm. Mozart ghost thing. And we don't, know what it does at this point. And she never actually analyzes what it does, but we see some slow-mo slow-mos. I started pausing my way through this so I could tell you a list of things in this hacker's level flashing. Are you ready? Tell me. We see some hexadecimal. Yes. We see a line graph, <laughs> a, hor <laughs> a horizontal line graph. We see a list of airplane seats. Mm-hmm. We see what I would assume is some TurboTax-like spreadsheet with a bunch of zero dollars in all the columns. <laughs> There's a zoom in on some text, and you can't read all of the lines, but here are the words you can see. He's screaming trash style of that. And then we see an unauthorized access, a mechanical blueprint of some gearing. I couldn't figure out what it was. More airplane seating, and then it kind of repeats some other stuff. Typical hacking stuff. Okay. In your uh, illustrious mm, 10 years plus of security and quality assurance, uh, you know, security quality assurance, really, this is a, a niche field for you. She describes this as a programming glitch. It's a futz keystroke that sends you to the wrong internet address. Evaluate that. Is that good QA analysis? Uh so <laughs> is it good? Well, speaking of someone that went to QA college, I would say, uh, no, I don't like that. But it's, it's weird that the keyboard loop event handler would, you would mistakenly get some state where can holding down control and shift and pressing click. I mean, would control and shift really modify the click or, I mean, like you have to do that intentionally. There's no you way have, that that yeah, could exactly. be. You, there's no way that that could be a mistake that the programmer make a futz keystroke. Now, sending you to the wrong internet address, I think, exists. And I also don't agree with Dale's analysis about that. Because Dale says, last night it sent me to Amtrak Central Mainframe and the Mayo Clinic. Shout out Mayo Clinic, Minneapolis. Well, Rochester, but Minnesota. Woo! Uh, Amtrak Central, those two things aren't on the subnet. Well, maybe that's true, but what if it was like the first octet of an IP address that was had a typo in it? Mm -hmm. I mean, those two things wouldn't be on the same subnet. And also, everything is technically on the same. I mean, you know, everything's on zero zero. I don't, like of of uh, I, that. I I wasn't keen on his analysis. No wonder he has to call Sandy. This guy doesn't yeah. know Jack. Yeah, he's a pretender. I, I thought that like it was interesting that like I guess. Yeah, it's sure. There's a typo. It's sending you to these things, but they're all like these highly sensitive. Yeah, sensitive things. And they're just like, oh, I just randomly got sent to this one. And uh, they're not like yeah. questioning like, oh, okay, well, uh, you know, that seems weird that I now have it's taking me directly to that. And then he goes into it, says, Angela, I've accessed the system. I shouldn't have it. If someone wants to get a hold of the disc, they've had an awful lot of power. This is basically they turn this movie into sneakers, but don't explain what's going on. Because apparently this disc has some, to this day, somewhat unexplained uh, origin or, I mean, whatever it is. But 
uh, at least at this point, we don't know what the disk does. We don't know how it's getting into those things. Okay. I'm, I'm on board now, are, but is it getting them? Is it just sending it to them or like, is it giving them access to? Okay. Well, I mean, let's, can you, we just checkpoint when we talk about the big reveal about this guardian thing? Can we, can we bring that up there? How I think this yes, stuff let's all fits yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. Cause she doesn't go to jail. I don't think she ever figures it out. I figure it out because I'm the true Kevy QA on the detective case. Like it, you wouldn't believe how much time I spent trying to sort out what was going on. So she's like, well, why don't you just delete it? And he's like, I'm not ready to do that. What's your day look like tomorrow? Okay. I call you up tomorrow. You're headed to, I don't know, uh, Florida on vacation. And I tell you, Dennis, I need your help. I'm going to fly down to Dallas. We'll have from, seven to 12 to kick this idea around. Are you, are you okay with that? I mean, I would just be like, I would feel bad for you. I'd say, why do you want to do that? Let's just, let's kick an idea around on the phone. I just, that would yeah. be. Also they've worked their entire careers remotely together. Yeah. And he's got to come down and talk. But this remember isn't, this guy's, this remember, isn't he work. He, I felt like he was, this angling. isn't work. No. Yeah. No. So she she is leaving at noon, has to pack. Okay, here's her to-do list. She brings up while she's talking. Charge power book batteries. That's probably a thing because battery technology, you forget you forget how bad laptop batteries were. Mm-hmm. These 90 laptop batteries, you'd be lucky if they were like nickel cadmium, right? So these things are like draining their little tushies off pretty quick, maybe an hour. <laughs> So that makes sense to me. She's got extra power book batteries. Although take a vacation, just relax. You know, what was the, okay. We talked about, uh, uh, 2600 magazine and the hackers. Cause Emmanuel Goldstein was one of the characters mm-hmm. on her little to-do list. Grab my 2600 mag. That was the technical advisor's contribution to this movie. It's the only one that I could tell. She would want, <laughs> she would want a copy of 2600 magazine, right? And then the access phone number at Cosmel, that is the internet pop for whatever, you know, like that's what I think she's wanting on that to-do list. She wants to look up how she can get on the internet in Cosmel without paying long distance. Got it. Suntown Lotion listed twice. She, she's a burner, I guess. I don't know. So her coworkers, but she, she agrees to meet him, and she says she'll be the one with spineless simp tattooed on her forehead. Hey, another prediction. I know. I stopped. I wrote that down too. What? Tell us about it. Well, I had to write this down because I. <laughs> this is. I definitely know that I'm getting old, but I. Mm-hmm. I clicked. Uh, it, there was some headline in my Google News that was like, "This is the term that that teens are now using to ridicule each other for being so nice." And I was like, "Okay, maybe I'll add this to my repertoire." Yeah. And simp. Sink. Yeah, I had I had heard it on some like Twitch thing, and I'm like, "What is?" It? And then yeah, I, I'm old too, guys. But yeah, this this is simp is a huge word now, and she, it probably came from somebody loving the net, huh? These kids get out there, they're loving they the pizza the apps, they're loving, <laughs> they're stealing all their lingo from yeah. Sandy B. You do have access to a, a big TikTok personality. Maybe you should should uh, follow up with them about this. Uh, the origin of this. I will, I will ask her how many of her takes off she bases off of information accrued from the 1995 movie, The Net. Um, okay, so he's flying into the Burbank airport. Mm-hmm. The FAA controller doesn't see him and has him manually report. Based on his instruments, he thinks he's on approach. 
the FFA, the FAA, or I guess the air traffic ATC doesn't know where he in and calls a missed approach. He's still, Hey, everything looks good here. He's and he's about 50 feet away. This reminds me of the scene in the office where Michael is just like following his GPS into the lake. <laughs> Cause it's like guys, a Cessna pilot. Right. And I, listen, I'm not a pilot, but I, I mean, he's a private small plane pilot. It's a Cessna. Before he gets instrument rated, he's flying this thing on visual during the day. So the fact that he's completely relying on instruments right now and just, I guess, not even looking out the window based on what happens next (laughs) is a little concerning to me. But maybe it's messing with his altitude. Okay, but here's the thing. By context, what we think is that somebody has hacked his plane, his instrument. Talk to me. How could what what is going on that this instrument cluster could be manipulated in a way that would crash his plane into these very well lit, bright, I don't know, oil. I don't know if they're oil or water, what these towers are, or just lighthouses. I don't know what they are. But w- what is this? Why why how could we I mean the thing uses GPS, right? Mm-hmm. So GPS spoofing could be a thing, but somebody would essentially, I, and this is my approximation because I'm not, but you know, it would make sense to me that the GPS receiver in planes is at the top of the plane, right? Mm-hmm. The cock, like at the top of the cockpit or something like that. So that has view of the sky because, hey, GPS satellites are in the sky. So if the receiver is at the top of the plane, I think it would take really pretty incredible signal strength from the ground level to point at a plane and broadcast to it so that it had what became more powerful than the satellite GPS signal and would manipulate what the GPS coordinates for spoofing. That's my gut instinct. This would be, I think, very hard and just unnecessary to do. Like, why not have somebody just shoot this guy before he got on the plane? I just, it seems like a very, no matter what it is, or they had access to the plane ahead of time and they reprogrammed the prom of this thing to false story port, whatever, to run into this, whatever it is, it's way too impractical for this to actually be some sort of hack. Like they would have just cut his fuel line. I don't know. Just something <laughs> mess with his uh, landing gear. I, there's just so I, many more practical this, ways to sabotage this plane. Yes. I think that this was just a big sort of uh, leap of faith, let's put it that way, right? Just to just to shoehorn in some more perceived hacking, right? They're just trying to, I would say that they're just trying to- Yeah, and that. they don't analyze it. That nobody ever- No one cares on. No one explains. It. It's just, I, oh, it's a it's a LCD screen, so it's probably on the net. Huh? hacked, guys. So yeah. um, I, I so don't know. I think, I think that we're supposed huh. to chalk this up to somehow like the, the, the you know, Mozart's ghost. If this was Mozart's ghost, I think it would require somebody on the ground or better yet in a plane above with a directional antenna mm-hmm. that can – and you have to pretend not to just be one satellite. You have to be three satellites in order to – project a GPS position because those GPSs are using three satellites because they need elevation in planes. So it's like a non-trivial attack that would be hard today and I think would be next to impossible then. If now with 
software-defined radio or whatever, a, a private pilot flying above that. But it would be impractical today, I think, as well. Um, at least for this use case. Now, I do think that there's some, you know, that's that's research worthy to be done to say, you know, these these protocols that are 40 years old in the aviation space or whatever, they, they might have some uh, some issues uh, in today's landscape. But okay. okay, so next day, Angela's packing up, calls into her coworker, asks for Dale. Her boss said her boss basically skips over the fact that Dale died in this plane accident. He's been dead for about eight hours, and her boss is already working on the backfill, like. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. He's uh, ruthless, man. Ruthless. Yeah, he's like, I guess he's a kingdom builder, right? Or whatever, you know, like these <laughs> people, like just want a bunch of people because he cannot take this missing head count for more than eight hours. So he tells her to enjoy vacation. Okay, I got to admit, Dennis, I think that you and I are, uh, you know, we were close coworkers. If I was scheduled to go on vacation and you were like flying in to high five me for like five hours before, I think I'd take a day. I think I'd take a day if you died on the plane on the way here. I don't think I'd go to Cozumel. <laughs> well, I am really happy to hear that. That makes me now. Okay, can you say the same thing about me? No, I definitely would. No, you would just plans. be. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kev. Uh, okay, airport parking. She gets. I the- pour one out for you in Cozumel, man. Okay. Oh, that yeah, you were in Cosmo. You can tell us about the Cosmo stuff too. Airport, po- uh, or you were in maybe similar. Anyway, uh, airport parking. She gets to the airport. There's a big computer malfunction backing up the flights. Nobody knows why. What does this mean? Is this okay? Now, hindsight 2020. This is so that the hitman assigned to track her down can catch up with her. So. Okay, I chalked this one up as like two sort of background noise hacks is what I will call them during the course of this movie, okay? Because like all during the movie, there's always TVs tuned into the news and it's talking about some crazy thing disrupting trading today or taking down, See, I'm just I, making this up, this hospital. So I just figured she was I sort of the, experiencing. One. I get that this movie, I my feeling is this movie was very well outlined and very poorly implemented because I think the idea is they just found out eight hours ago that she has this backdoor code, like the bad people, right? Mm-hmm. So they monitor her on chat, figures out she's going to vacation. At that time, they've got to do something because she's taking the disc, you know, whatever. They feel like it's likely she's going to have the disc on her. So they dispatch this, um, let's call him Hitman Jack. His name is Jack in the movie. To but it's going to take him a while to catch up with her was my thought. So maybe that they delayed, they did these hacks to give the hitman more time to catch up. That was my thinking. Yeah, I think to your other point about the unnecessary complexity. I mean, sure, that could be. By the way, how- this movie is written. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, oh, I was just going to say, like you know, again, point. why not just cancel the flight? <laughs> cancel all I mean, the flights of Cosmos. She goes home. He's in the home. Boom, uh, yeah. you're dead. So. And this movie was written by the same people that wrote the Michael Douglas, the game movie, right? Talk about complexity. Oh <laughs> also, still don't know what happened in that movie, but that's like a more fun version of all these pieces kind of weirdly fitting together. It's like a very intricate story. I think that they had some of that here 
And then just editing wise, it never came together where it made any sense. Like they cut out maybe the important parts or something. I don't, you know, like, no, I think, I think we might be reading a little bit too much into this particular one. I think it's just, I think they're trying to set this the tone mindless that, hack stuff is. Yeah. I okay. think that they're just trying just, to set the tone that there's like something is hacking systems. Okay. And there is, there is a political, yes, there is a political push to just get people moving along towards uh, adopt. Okay. Anyway, so she, she, uh, she flies to Cozumel. Oh, oh wait, she, wait, so, wait. At the, yeah, the, go at ahead. The, okay, this is an important thing, and I actually thought you would have commented on this. Okay. One of the ways that the hack is uh, showing itself, right, that people are realizing is not just the long lines and everyone angry, but also the, the monitors saying the flight status is, is are, they're just going completely wonky. Did you happen to notice any of the flight statuses that are possible no. at this airport? Uh-uh. Okay. So you're Kev, you're on you're on vacation in Cosmo, you're waiting for your flight. Oh, it's on time. Oh wait, no, they're updating the status to crashed is one of the <laughs> possible statuses. Okay. Yeah. And then you're like, oh bummer. I still want to go to Cosmo. You get on standby for another flight. You're waiting there, everything's on time. Oh wait, they're updating it again. Uh-oh, what's it updated to this time, Kev? Uh hijacked is another so like <laughs> these are all crashed and hijacked like yep sorry guys we just wanted to inform you that this plane has crashed we're putting it on all the monitors at this airport uh please go see your gate agent because that plane has crashed uh mm. this has cracked me up that's good uh okay so we first get our foot you can't even tell who it is but you do from the balcony uh while she's walking over to get on her plane you see uh hitman jack uh, just the very first little scruff of his neck. So we cut to the beach, gratuitous beach shot. Yeah, we could have put anybody in this movie, but we put Sandy B in this movie for this beach shot. It's uh, we see palm trees, a lot of. I mean, she lives in L.A. She gets plenty of palm trees, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. I guess I'm just jealous of, of people who live in L.A. and then have to still go to Cancun for the winter. <laughs> you know, it seems uh, she's soaking up some rays, reading a book that's not a 2600. So there's a creepy guy in the bushes. <laughs> she decides to break out her laptop. Laptop on the beach, Dennis. As somebody who needlessly accidentally destroys approximately one laptop every nine months. hmm how do you feel about taking your laptop to the beach? You're, you must be all for it. Well, I mean, no, I mean, I don't like when I destroy my laptops. It just is an unfortunate mm-hmm. accident. But she is she's accident? Like enticing. Singular? Plural. Plural, and, unfortunately. And how different in the structure of your accidents were the multiple destroyed laptops that you've suffered over the last three years? <laughs> the accidents were both exactly the same of <laughs> <laughs> reaching to grab something and knocking over my cup of water directly onto the laptop. Uh, and catching okay. whiffs of ozone and realizing that there's no fixing this thing. <laughs> um, uh, but, but no, side but, note, you are launching your new data destruction service. <laughs> D- DOD approved data erasure. All they got to do is send you uh, the laptop and mm-hmm. a uh, uh, Arctic yeah, 40 a bottle of Aquafina. Yeti. Okay, bottle, okay, perfect. <laughs> nice. Um, okay. So the laptop on the beach is something sketchy to me. You can't get sand out of stuff. Guys. Oh, that's sand what I was just going to say. Yeah. Forget that. You're getting it in all the joints. It's like making that scratchy. No, no, thank you. I would not do that. All right. Hitman Jack, who, by the way, in all my notes, if I make a slip up, I've got Hitman Jack listed in my notes as British Dennis. So. <laughs> 
But later on, I think you're more Sandy B than you are Hitman Jack. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, There's if anything, me, yeah. yeah. So uh, Hitman Jack's ordering a Gibson at the next umbrella over. She orders one too. I'll have one too. They talk about how nobody drinks Gibsons anymore. I don't think anybody really did, except for I mean, even uh, I mean, James Bond kind of drank Gibsons, but then. So maybe it was popular at some point. But Gibson is, uh, they explain it, or he has to explain it to the guy, mostly because the guy speaks Spanish. I think a, a bartender probably would know what a, the Gibson, a Gibson would be. It's a martini, but instead of having olives in it, it has pearl onions in it, basically. You a martini guy? I like martinis uh, on occasion, um, but mostly because I like olives, and so I like a dirty martini. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think it even, some people might do Gibson's with olive juice, but then just the, you know, mm. the veg. I call it the veg. <laughs> um, okay. So she starts typing. He gets nosy and uh, asks if it's business or pleasure. She doesn't, she doesn't know the difference between business and pleasure. This is the kind of workaholic we're dealing with, boys, uh, boys and girls. All right. He immediately calls her a hacker. I would not. Uh, she seems like a capable systems analyst debugger does not seem like a security enthusiast to me. She goes immediately to help later on to, I mean, like, I don't, I don't think she's a security, uh, expert in this movie. I don't think so either. She does. Uh, she exhibits some good, like you know, physical security uh, awareness. Yeah, some red teaming end. stuff yeah, in there a little but, bit. But uh, yeah, yeah I, she did not. She didn't strike me as a hacker mm-hmm. yeah. for sure. And uh, and right, we're we're not making an assessment in terms of like culturally not a hacker or whatever. Yeah. This doesn't seem like she is interested in none of the work she does is security related, really, and she doesn't ever hack into anything. So that's why we're not calling her hacker, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So she points at a bag and sees the corner of his laptop. And she, she says, he must also be in the business because quite a piece of hardware you got there. Man, this movie, okay. this scene, these scenes, so much double entendre going on. And then he just like dives into, oh, we're pathetic. We're <laughs> pathetic, Dennis. We disgust me. You know, and then she's like, what? <laughs> and he's like, oh, we're at this most beautiful beach in the world. That seemed like a fine beach. It didn't seem, I mean, come on, most yeah. beautiful beach? Send me the French Polynesia or something. And all we can think of is where we can plug in our modem. I think you described what a modem was in, for, for listeners previously. Uh, so we're good on that. Everybody <laughs> at this point knows what a modem is. I think we're good there. Yes. Uh, floppy disk. Did we cover floppy disk? Uh, Cause we've talked about that. The floppy disk is the co lead in this movie. I think, uh, I think that you did mention it because there's that scene in hackers where, uh, zero cool is like quick doing a quick draw with his. Oh yeah. He's got the okay. Well, let's just, Hey guys, you know, you, if, if you're younger than 28 years old, you probably thought, that it was weird that these people were walking out with cardboard versions of a save, a save icon. <laughs> Those yes. are floppy disks. Yes. Those at this point in time likely contain 1.44 megabytes, oh. which you might not be 
familiar with, but there are one approximately 1,000 uh, megabytes in a gigabyte. It's not exactly uh, that, but uh, yeah, that's where we're at. So that that's storage, a very small amount of storage that we used to use. Uh, okay. When they introduce themselves to each other, she does not look him in the eye. Is that a choice to say that she's socially awkward or is that the sun in her eyes or why does she not look at this person? I think it's a hammer home her uh, awkwardness. Well, her awkwardness, but also, yeah, well, yes, her social awkwardness because she, she doesn't work with people. Y- yes. She seems what we don't understand her psychology if she is agoraphobic in some way Mm -hmm. or why has she opted into this life she certainly could be working you know in san francisco at the uh where is the moscone center is that in san San francisco Francisco? okay so she could that's where her corporate headquarters is Mm -hmm. so She's opted into this or is just like ahead of the curb on, on, on uh, not getting uh, COVID-19 because she's ahead of the curve on other stuff too. I, it's, it's not clear, but she's like, she does not even have, she's lived in LA four years. Her, the number of people that could associate her name and face seem to be one person in all of LA. I agree. So, and so I think it's, this is, you're right. We don't know what it is, but she's definitely, I think they're maybe just playing off of computer stereotype at the time right mom's basement don't go outside don't talk to people and this is this is just a i I think they're trying to make a statement that you you could live your life all through this bubble or lens it's such a vast which at the time it really wasn't right Right. at least compared to what it became now it's just everybody does this okay so they're they introduced each other okay they're having lunch now he starts peppering in that he's got a lot of data on her right like i mean not not over not over it's like kind of the nikon thing of like we were talking about like it's just kind of creepy to go up and know somebody's phone number or address he knows a lot of creepy things about her so he this one's not too bad he peppers in you know oh uh you know when i was a kid this is funny but when i was a kid i thought i was the cat in breakfast at tiffany's never seen this movie i don't know what the cat does but that's apparently her favorite movie that at some point I don't know how long they've been monitoring her because they never tell us, but I didn't see her talk about breakfast and Tiffany's in the chat last night, which 90% of what this guy knows seems to be within eight lines of text in cyber chat with Bob and Iceman. I do not, I don't know where this Tiffany's. I didn't get it either. And I have, maybe that's in her profile. And I was like, because, yeah, he's like, I feel like the cat at the end. And they, she throws the cat out of the car at the end of the movie. So he's mm. it's just – I just Ooh. remember like, this is a very Maybe awkward... that's for the audience. Maybe that's peppering in a little because she, you know, she gets – this guy gets a little commitments at some point, right? She she murders yeah. this guy later. Well, All right. Could, no, anyway. <laughs> it's, <laughs> this is not, I'm going to sidetrack us into a Breakfast at Tiffany's movie review now. Well, I'm you you're the one – we're, we're going to do – that's next week's episode. <laughs> it's not, yeah, okay. Okay, it's somehow working. So she's either getting sunstroke or googly-eyed, but she's really uh, uh, apparently all it took was a little bit of a- attention uh, from uh, this person. He starts singing "Moon River." Is that a Breakfast at Tiffany's song? No, I don't all believe right. so. 
Okay. Uh, he's crushing bar nuts, uh, invites her to dinner. She agrees to go to dinner. He takes her on a private boat ride that he calls a company perk. I like, uh, her joke here. This is probably the funniest thing in this movie. And she says, yeah, I got a, I, I think I got some uh, company perk. It was a coffee mug or a t-shirt. I don't know what, what, what it was, but like it wasn't <laughs> like, it's the kind of stuff that you get from, uh, you know, as real company perks. Oh my God. Uh, never, yeah, but never been allowed to use somebody's private boat, uh, or whatever. So she I said, boat, by the way, she said one year. Oh yeah. She said she got a calendar. That's what it was. So cut to dinner. He says, you must be from Eastern Colorado. Okay. Now this is a thing. Okay. But how it's just a trick I do. This is, if you wanted to tell somebody, you know, those things you see, those little gimmicks you see of like, say in one, say in two words, three words, uh, tell me you're something without saying it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Dennis, I'm going to tell you in four, five words that I'm a psychopathic stalker that's tracking you down to kill you. Oh, you must be from Eastern Colorado. <laughs> How would you know? It's not obvious. Also, okay. Eastern Colorado is. Not far from Omaha, Nebraska, right? I mean, like, you know, these are like similar places. Did did you know that Omaha, Nebraska, fam- like, and she says, is it, can you tell from my accent? There is no accent in mm. Eastern Colorado. It is the most, I mean, Omaha, Nebraska, which is very close to this, is is known as the most accent neutral place in America. That's what that's call center business is thriving there so that you can't tell where these people are from. It is just the worst place to pick for this particular thing. Make her from Kentucky, a little wildcat, you know, like uh, what's, what are we doing? I don't know, but I was something harp on this because I am not a geography master, but Omaha, Nebraska is on the other side of Nebraska. So it's not, bordering eastern colorado okay (laughs) i mean still what's the the accent from eastern colorado okay uh i I mean i've driven i've driven there okay i've driven it though so i mean it's like i mean maybe you say it's not far but it's less than a i mean it's i don't know so i drove i drove it recently okay so uh (laughs) <laughs> I've already disrespected <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska enough. Oh, podcast. yeah. I'm just yeah, not just trying to get any forget, more yeah, no, okay. no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, She talks about moving around a lot. And I do not understand. There's Okay, this hints at something. But here's a ve- it's a very subtly structured the way she talks. She could be a little bit better about saying this. but he sa- So she talks about moving around. And he says, so your father transferred. Uh, so your father transferred a lot. And she says, not really. He just transferred out one day. That restructuring of that sentence, we're supposed to understand that her father left her and her mother at a young age. Mm. Really hard. I mean, yeah. I'm doing, I, like, I'm paying attention. Nobody has paid attention to this movie, I'm willing to bet, as, as hard as I did last night. <laughs> For the four hours that I watched it trying to make sense of it or whatever it was. So he then really stares at her a lot harder. His method of uh, seducing women is a lot of staring. And then he says, computers are your life. He buys a Polaroid from uh, the waitress. 
uh, a Polaroid, Dennis. I you want to give a shot at this? <laughs> well, a Polaroid, they, these have come back, right? Oh, they, okay. So people know these. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. My, my, my nieces and nephews have Polaroid cameras. Okay. That's the bar we use. It is. Yeah. So he asked her about personality, or he asked her about personality. She says, mostly beta testing. Maybe he asked her about job. Maybe I'm wrong, like profession or whatever, but she's QA. Her job is QA. She says mo- she does mostly. I think she asked her about not, I think my note is right. It's not personality. He says, well, tell me about your work. And she says, eh, it's mostly beta testing. Hmm. QA. Yes. Nailed it. You get it. Uh, okay. They're walking on the beach. She's obviously freezing. And he like pulls what seems bigger than a handkerchief out of his pocket. Okay. Yeah. And tries he, to tie it around her waist. <laughs> Did he instead of giving her napkin? his jacket? Yeah, it looked like he stole a napkin from the dinner table or wherever they might have been previously. But yeah, that was I that was very weird. Okay. In in and, some note, this is a recreation of some scene from an old movie again. I guess the people that made this this movie are just nodding their hats because they couldn't be bothered to actually make a movie that makes sense. So they're just tipping their hat to all these old movies. <laughs> anyway, he fires up a cigarette. Uh, I mean, whew. she says she used to smoke and then he says, but you quit kind of like almost accusatory. Uh, it's very oh, yeah. stalker forward to, to, to that. And he says he refuses to quit. Got to try something without a safety net. This isn't smoking. Isn't something that you do bravely and worry that it's going to kill you. You know, to know you're alive. It's like, okay, whatever. I get people are addicted to smoking. Uh, I won't point out who, but one of the the people on this podcast has been addicted to smoking in the past. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> uh, you know, work on your habits. But I don't like his attitude around this, and I certainly don't like how he's treating her in this same sentence. So creepy yes. Bush guy. Oh, sorry. Well, he was just, yeah, the, the condescension and then, uh, yeah, exactly. How he does say, you know, it's how I know that I'm alive by slowly getting lung cancer. Yes. <laughs> I mean, just, not. I get it. I, I get it. Hey, it's a nasty habit. Excuse, excuse me for my nasty habit, you know, whatever. Uh, and even at the time, maybe you don't even have to say anything. Creepy bush guy steals your bag, runs off, and then uh, Hitman Jack chases it down turns out very quickly they're in cahoots he starts going through his purse we see uh the 15th appearance from the co-star which is a floppy disk this one happens to be green they have some banter back and forth uh where the uh uh the guy from the bushes is pretty proud of his stealing skills did you catch this he's like got it boss uh crushed it i'm like did you see me out there and he's like it was like whoosh that's what he does and hitman jack says yeah you're a real uh uh houdini out there he says he says uh some, uh, an, an adjective on that that i that i won't uh put out there uh it's a bit of a a slight uh but yeah houdini uh so he's he's real funny okay at this point he pulls out a pistol it's a I mean, people, I don't know. People don't care. Uh, Glock 19, uh, and it's got the world's tiniest suppressor on it. This, I mean, uh, listen, this suppressor is so small. It is 
not going, it is going to be very loud and get very hot and would be essentially totally ineffective at uh, reducing any sound. So uh, it's just like, yeah, it looks, I mean, it's like two inches and by half an inch. It is crazy. I don't even know what this thing really is, but it is for sure not, uh, not a real suppressor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely a movie problem. I remember hearing the first time hearing a suppressed weapon fire. And being shocked because that was when the movie, it the movie and be, TV magic got shattered. For me. I don't, I don't even remember seeing him necessarily shoot this gun at any point in time. But it may be some type of blank firing adapter. So sometimes, you know, with a movie gun or something like that, or you know, they tune them to fire blanks, which have a different recoil pattern. And in order to cycle the gun, they have to use a little bit of stuff going on. So that's what that might be some type of blank firing adapter that's. Is this, oh, I forgot. Is this a firearms podcast that we started? Sorry. <laughs> All right. Angela is calling for Jack. Uh, he tosses the bag. He cuts his hand open with a pocket knife and heads back. Dennis, why does he cut his hand with his pocket knife? He has got to show that there was a struggle, right? Hmm. Is that why doesn't, not- he, why doesn't he tear his jacket? I don't know. I, I mean, maybe. Maybe he wants the attention of her mending his hand. I don't know, but it doesn't seem like pretty much the last thing I would, I would just be like, Oh, Hey, the, the guy threw, threw your bag. I mean, I got, I got the bag, but all the stuff was, was gone. You know, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. know. It, just, it just doesn't seem like cutting his hand. It seems like somebody who just really wants to cut their hand open with a pocket knife. Yeah. Yeah. I think, it, uh, yeah. well, anyway, they're back on the boat and she's complaining about the bag having all of her stuff in it. I mean, wouldn't you just be glad this guy's alive? I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it does seem like a pain and maybe she's just frantic, but she's squeezing, I guess, Neosporin on his hand and applying a bandaid, not a very well-stocked boat first aid kit. Guys, if you're on a boat like that and you'll be traveling, get a better first aid. You need more than a bandaid and a tube of ointment. I don't know. It cures I, I sliced know. open hands. The yeah, number okay. one boating accident. Um, not as good as like a sterile strip or <laughs> some, uh, you know, uh, medical grade super glue, which you can get under the uh, vet bond. You can get medical grade super glue for dogs, right? And have some of that in your medical. Hmm. Listen, guys, if you guys, I'm sorry, this is a medical uh, first aid podcast, correct? Mm hmm. Okay, good. So he says he feels dumb for trying to impress her. She says living people tend to impress more than dead too. I don't know. I don't know what the vibe is at this point. It doesn't – on paper, I don't think this would be going well. He says he's going to call the Cancun police to report it on the Marine radio. But he can't reach Cancun from there and needs to head out further. Okay, uh, I'll do work for the movie here. Obviously, I guess in the context of the movie, he's not even really trying the radio. But it's not a very good ruse to just walk over the radio and say it doesn't work. Although I guess she knows nothing about radios, but he doesn't attempt to do it. And the quickest way that he could vet whether or not this radio is actually working would be if, and I'm not sure this could be likely that the Cancun area has a VHF like repeater set up. So if he broadcasted on the emergency channel, he could probably listen back and hear the repeater open up and make some static back at him. Um, so yeah, anyway, the radio stuff in this is clumsy. 
luckily we started this ham radio podcast together <laughs> a nod to ham radio podcasts uh yeah so she's down for more nighttime boating she loves it they head out for their radio still not working he kills the engine takes out the key heads down below unloads his pocket reloads his pistol he comes back up. She starts making the moves on him. And he's mm-hmm. like, I guess I could kill her in about 10 minutes. <laughs> and he, she, the way she like comes up to him, she should feel that gun in about two seconds. Like that uh, gun is in a pocket of hers and she comes up right up to him and, Hugs yeah, <laughs> doesn't, he, is it, doesn't he have the gun in his like the inside breast pocket of this? I, okay, now this I think if you're a hitman, you probably get a specialized <laughs> pistol pocket mm-hmm. in your suit jackets. I, I mean, that's like, how is Hitman One Hundred One? How is he fitting a suppressed pistol into? Well, his it is the world's pocket. tidiest. It it is the suppressor he ordered from uh, Air, Sky Mall magazine. <laughs> So I think we're in the clear on the size of the suppressor. Okay. Uh, but I, 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 and you know what? I, if I were in this guy's jacket, I would put a little suppressed pistol because, okay. And normal holsters are not going to work out for this guy because that extra three inches on yes. his, uh, on his barrel is going to be annoying to deal with. So uh, yeah, I think it would be reasonable to say that you would tailor a jacket with a pistol pocket in it. Okay. All right. I'm willing to now, believe that. But he drops this thing from about three feet, and yes! you can hear the pistol go clang. <laughs> you know, like yes. so. Oh so she just immediately says, "Okay, used to date a shrink. Her her shrink. <laughs> she used to date her shrink. Uh, that's what she's talking about uh, in in the next thing. And she's wearing. She's basically wrapping or covered up by the world's biggest beach towel. I, I mean, I know that she's not a. a a huge stature. I think they say she's five seven in the movie, so probably she's five five. But where, where do you get a beach towel that's this big? Oh, I don't know, but I love me some extra large beach towels. Okay, okay, yeah. Now I think it may be a thing, but I, at the time it seems well. Anyway. This movie was setting all sorts of trends. So yes, forty years being, before again, the beach, yeah, forty years the beach towel craze that hit. It's yeah. it is essentially a beach towel blanket. So she thought she was lonely and he forgot he was married that in reference to the shrink thing. So that, I mean, that seems such a creep. Uh, the shrink, which who we get to know and get to know very well throughout this movie, he goes to make drinks. He picks up his jacket and, or she picks up his yeah. jacket and puts it on feeling the pistol in the secret pocket that we had tailored in. Uh, obviously. Mm-hmm. He comes up. She is extremely calm for fight for finding a secret pistol in a pocket. Oh hell yeah! Extremely calm. Confronts him. He says it's for shark fishing. Fishing. She obviously doesn't buy it, but she lets him take it immediately out. So now she's smoking, and he says, "You know a lot about guns." She says, "Everyone in Colorado grows up with guns." Also, probably not true, but whatever. She pushes. She pushes him, oh, like pushes him in terms of asking. She's like grilling him, and she's still way too calm for my money. Like, I don't know. She's like very well prepared for this situation, it seems. I agree, and I think that this is out of character for how much of a introvert and socially awkward person 
uh, that she's mm-hmm. supposed to be, right? I mean, she's like opened herself up. She's just had that- relations with this guy. Turns out he's going to kill her. Yeah. I I don't know the the psychology or linkage in terms of like being good in a crisis and, you know, in anxiety as it relates to social anxiety and things like that. Because, I mean, I know some people that have social anxiety that are very good in a crisis. But what I would say, just she's too calm for any human being um, that is in this situation. So at this point, she starts kind of freaking out a little bit. He points the gun at her, pulls the trigger but she's unloaded it and she throws that magazine in the ocean and clangs him with a wine bottle. Now this I think shows some savviness that you were talking about, right? So maybe this boat is too complicated for her to run or whatever, or maybe she wants to put distance between her. So she tries the radio. She's not savvy on, I mean, the radio stuff again, is not good in this. She's pushing a lot of buttons. I get she doesn't know how to use the radio, but the, pushing all those buttons is not helping her use the radio at all. <laughs> um, and then she tries to go below deck, open the door. She finds the wallet, and the wallet, the the boat key, and Harry Q. Floppy Disk, co-star <laughs> of the movie. So he's out cold. She takes the boat key. I think she puts it in the thing original, maybe just to see, make sure that it is the ignition key. Takes it out. And then she gets in the dinghy, which she's uh, maybe she's more confident about, or maybe this is just a way so she doesn't have to murder this guy by throwing him off the boat. Mm. But she gets in the dinghy. He's she starts trying to pull start the outboard motor. He wakes up, jumps on. She gets the outboard motor running and pretty masterfully drives away. I thought until about two seconds where she drives head into a big rock thing. And uh, <laughs> I, it's, I was like, are are they not in the middle of the ocean in this thing? Did he not say that he had to go? No, that is out? no, no, no. Well, they they went to some island for dinner, so they're ostensibly they could have come back from that island towards Cancun, and there would be a potential for these types of okay. But I do agree. I mean, she she gets <laughs> takes off, looks like a pro immediately crashes. So these cathedral employees, not very good at being able to see what is right in front of them while they are operating some sort of motorized yeah, vehicle. Yeah, sure. Although it is kind of tricky because if you've never driven one of those things before, they don't always do what you think they're going to do. Um, Trent Johnson, previous guest, will tell you about trying to teach me how to drive a dinghy. <laughs> so I, had a, I had a similar dinghy experience and lived to tell the tale. All right. So um, he, she then, she, she hits these rocks, wakes up in the hospital. They say a fisherman found her. She's been there three days. The doctor tells her that they tried to call the owner of the wallet, which is Jack Hitman, and the disc was ruined by the sun. By the way, doctor fires up a cigarette. Oh, I love, I love the smoking doctor. Yeah. Again, we're not advocating that doctors out there start smoking, but this was <laughs> this was a cool reminder of uh, what I assume would have happened in in this hospital in the nineties. She looks through the wallet, sees a card in it. On one side, it says rcds.bnn at navdc.mil, and the other side is a string of alphanumeric. She doesn't know what it is. It looks like a business card. She heads back to her hotel. The lobby TV is on, and they're talking about a weird computer glitch that caused a price surge that stopped the market or something like that. They had to shut down the stock exchange. So she is trying to get a new key, but Angela Bennett checked out last Saturday, Dennis. Uh-oh. How and could that on- be? She's Angela Bennett. And and on the TV, still in the background, a lot of TV splaining. I'd say that they overuse this 
narrative device of TVs being on in the background. Uh, Maybe show some more computer stuff if you're looking for a way to get. Maybe she goes to a news site on her computer once. On TV, the CEO of Greg Systems is complaining about a hacker group called Praetorian that caused the disruption. So he's doing some PR, right? And this guy, we don't know yet maybe, but Greg Systems has been marketing the Guardian security software, which definitely seems like silver bullet 90s security software. Yes, and right? actually, right, Gatekeeper, right? That's the name of this? Oh, is it Gate? What? So what's Guardian? Anything? Is that a thing? No, I thought Gatekeeper. 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 Everybody Praetorian, on the news. Mozart's is- Ghost. what is and then cathedral is the company she works for yes and gatekeeper is this like yeah like security they don't really explain what it does but i imagine it's guys it's not software security it's security software (laughs) well that's what gatekeeper is we can we can imagine it's a firewall because that's what Things there you were go. back then. Exactly. Maybe at best case, it's an application layer proxy firewall thing. So she's at a payphone bank at this point, and a woman uh, that's dressed way too warm for Cancun uh, <laughs> is looking and comes up and asks her if she's Ruth Marks. She says no. The lady has a piece of paper with every piece of information about her, the wrong name, and is asking her if she wants a temp visa. I think that this is the wrong paperwork. This is a um, immigration paperwork podcast, correct? <laughs> yes. Why would she want a temporary visa to re-enter her own company of origin? Doesn't make sense. She mm-hmm. wants. She needs basically just to go to the border, and they will vet who she is. I know this because I watched that border patrol show so I could learn more about, uh, you know, your ancestry and, uh, which is, uh, what is the name of the call to catch a smuggler? And there's a lot of border coverage and half the time on that show, people are trying to cross the border in Nogales, Arizona, and they have no ID with them and it does not seem like a big deal. So, um, anyway, so, but attempt visa definitely seems wrong. She does not need a visa. She has the authorization as being a citizen to be in the United States. She just needs some documentation, which at the time I think you could do with just a driver's license. I do not think that even coming from Cancun to the U S you would need uh, a passport. Exactly right. So now you do. So don't take my advice about this 1995 movie and hightail it down to Cozumel on the next flight without your passport because you need it. Uh, now it's, it's weird to her, but this is her ticket so that she could go back home. So she signs this piece of paper as Ruth Marks in order to get this thing to fly back home and start solving this problem. Flies home, airport, rental car, drop off, or not rental car, airport parking lot, long-term parking bus drops her off and her car is gone. Something, somebody else is parked there. Something's amiss. All right. All of so she cabs home. Her house is up for sale. Has this ever happened? Coming home from a long business trip, and you're just like your house is up for sale. No, the worst thing that typically happens coming home from a long business trip is that I think I forgot my password to most of the things that I haven't been accessing that week or two. Have you ever forgotten your password by like, like you start typing your password into something where you can see yourself type your password, 
and it messes your head up. Yes. <laughs> and then and then no matter what you do, you can never type your password again. Oh, yeah. It's so <laughs> difficult. And like, yeah, so that that is my but my worst password experience was like messing around with this freaking computer I had rebuilt with like Windows like 3.2 on it or something like that. Like one of those just the the first Windows, maybe the th- Windows 3.1. And, Three, uh, it was probably 3.11 Windows for Groups. Go ahead. And uh, I was messing around with – I was like checking out the biosecurity settings, and I fat-fingered the password oh, to it. And then so this I, is fun. How do you recover a BIOS password on an old PC like that? Uh, well, I can tell you what I did, which was I know that I typed it fast, and I did it incorrect. So I just sat there. It wasn't locking me out, so I could do as many password attempts as I wanted. So I just oh, sat if there we typing. only had a time machine. On that BIOS, there's two things. But usually there is a pair of jumpers that you would grab a little, uh, or there's a jumper slot. What do you call that? A bank of jumpers, right? And you would grab the little bridge jumper. And one of those is to reset the BIOS to factory settings. So you would open the case up, slide that over the correct two pins, power on the system, it would clear the BIOS, and then you could reset the password. Oh, wow. I would Or that if you then. didn't know that, or if that. you remove the CMOS battery, so computers have a little battery on the motherboard so that when they're off or unplugged or off, that they actually, when they're off, um, because uh, or they can retain like their BIOS settings, including a um, a separate clock system, like an offline clock. Um, so if you had pulled that out for long enough too, it would have likely reset your bio settings. Mm. She just called me. I should have. <laughs> okay. This is the bios recovery podcast, correct? <laughs> this Gives is the, the, okay. So, okay. So she, she shows up to her own house. All of her stuff is gone. There's a realtor taking a poop in her bathroom. He comes out. She calls the cops. The cops come, and she's like really struggling to explain that her wallet's missing, which I don't think that the cops are really giving her as much of a hard time as they do. But it, it does seem odd to them that she doesn't know anybody. She gives them the temp visa, which is a big mistake because the name on it's Ruth Marks. Ugh. Ruth Marks. So they take the paper to run her name. Meanwhile, across the street, Hitman Jack has somehow got the LAPD crime database up, and he's logging in with Ruth. What is his connectivity at this point? I get it. This would be maybe today. This is 40 years ahead of his time. How does he have internet access from this car? I don't know. I But he's also – he's he's using cell phones left and right in this movie. So does he have something rigged up? <sighs> Okay. I don't know what the like law enforcement products were at the time, but I could imagine that there was maybe a time at which they had a packet data radio for interacting from patrol cars so that you could run searches and stuff without calling it in pre- cellular data which didn't exist so i mean here's here's the noted the noted use case of somebody actually running modem i mean other people did it but modem over cell phone Mm -hmm. was difficult to do maybe you could keep a 600 1200 baud connection going the person who is most famously 
most famously did that is that was uh, one of Mitnick's, uh, Kevin Mitnick's ways that he kind of kept mobile when he was on the run, uh, you know, and, and that whole thing is he was running IP over a, a cell phone, an AMPS network cell phone, the old school RF cell phone network that had no data built in. So it's just an audio channel, but running modem tone over that audio channel at a slow enough speed, definitely not ideal because the, just the noise factor of um you know that noise is going to come in and mess with the uh it is a 64k channel like 64k of rf bandwidth but for to actually run it it's just there's so much noise that it would really constantly be messing with the connection so i would i would imagine if he's doing it basically has some sort of of stolen, hacked, whatever, actual police setup, right? To interact with their packet radio, if they had one. <sighs> this is a telecommunications podcast, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so she's using her super hearing at this point. Like, so he adds a whole bunch of uh, violations to her record. Uh, the cop comes back to see, and he checks on it and sees all these arrest warrants. So uh, she uses her super hearing to notice that the cops are going to arrest her. <laughs> like she very subtly picks up on this, steals the realtor's phone and is, excuses herself out the back. Boom. She's on the run. This movie should be called Sneakers because she's constantly on the run. Dennis, uh, call that other movie a net or the net because it had a network in it, at least one. <laughs> and we get to the movie review's first pun. Uh, might just be wordplay. She uses the stolen cell phone to call her boss who's fired, which I love immediately. I mean, I would fire this guy. So you, you let one of your employees fly his personal plane on work business that we're not insured for. He dies. That guy's mom is suing the company because he's not married. At least hopefully he's not married based on how strong he was pushing, uh, Angela for mm. a date. This guy is a bad manager. And then he immediately is trying to build a kingdom by hiring somebody else. He shows zero compassion for Dale's death. And he lets his second in command, his second chief analyst, hop on a plane to Cozumel for a week. And she doesn't even come back on time. I'm firing this manager. Huh? He's not good. Where's the accountability? Mm-hmm. You and I would fire that guy so quick. Oh, yeah. And he, no respect for his people. Come on. Come on. All right. Not a woman answers. So she calls in, and but she says, hey, I'm Angela Bennett. I need to talk to Ross Bossington or whatever the guy's name is. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'll connect you to Angela Bennett. Uh, a woman's voice answers. Hi, this is Angela Bennett. Then some quiet time. Nothing's going on. And then she's like, uh, Angela? Okay, let's, let's role play this. Angela? Yes. Give me the disc. <laughs> Give me the disc and you get your life back, Angela. <laughs> Wait, are you recording this? I am recording this. Oh, I can you delete that part where I talked about giving the disc? Uh, Dennis is driving around. Uh, or Dennis, sorry. Uh, Hitman Jack is driving around. <laughs> listening in on the phone call, which I guess she just conferenced him in. Again, they're trying to make this seem like super technical, but it's a car phone and it's not even a new car phone. Car phones have been out in use for 10 years at this point. So she just, Angela, the fake Angela at Cathedral conference called 
the hitman Jack in. And he then starts working with somebody to trace the call and comes up with this idea that it's like surprisingly accurate for 1995, this tracing thing, by the way. So she calls Dennis Miller real quick, gets voicemail her, which is her old shrink. Uh, his name's Alan in the movie. I'm going to call him Alan instead of Dennis Miller because I don't want to get confused between Hitman Dennis or British <laughs> oh Dennis, God. Real Dennis, you, uh, QA Dennis, which is Angela, and uh, Dennis Miller, who is Alan. So uh, British Dennis, a.k.a. Hitman Jack, is talking to a phone tech. Now, let's anal- I, I got to analyze. There's some tech stuff in here. He tells them, okay, we've got this phone. Don't dial the number, but send the signal and give him two repeaters and a bisect, and he'll find it within a hundred yards. Hitman Jack seems to, they want to convey that he has hacker skills now. Mm -hmm. So not only is he a hired gun, hired by Praetorian, but he happens to be a hacker as well, which I guess maybe they met at like a computer history museum event or something like, Oh, what do you do? I, you know, I work for cathedral. Oh, that's funny. I work for Praetorian. I'm a hitman. You know, he just <laughs> seems like he's in the club. I don't know. Why would he have such skills like this? Um, well, he had that nice hardware. So maybe well, that just and, really is his background. Remember he, had and if that- I'm, yes, you're, you know what? You're right. And also he did all of this research on her, like listening to the chat or all that stuff. So he is computer. I guess he's very computer savvy. Now what he says, I'm going to break apart here. He says, give him two repeaters and a bisect. Now, if you're trying to si- triangulate a phone like this, first of all, sending a signal to this phone I don't really get that. These phones didn't have like we have today where the phone is just constantly on network or whatever. Mm -hmm. So these phones were essentially radio transmitters and radio receivers or transceivers as we, they would call them. And they would not be broadcasting any signal at this time on amps network on these analog Motorola phones. If they did not have an active call, they would be listening. The little signal bar on the phone would listen for carrier signal strength, but they would not generate or send carrier um, themselves, in my opinion. And and maybe somebody who is more familiar with me with the AMP cellular network could debate that. I don't think any of them listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, but <laughs> then, then also, two repeaters. Repeaters are going to be static sites. Josh Barry will write into the podcast when he listens to this and tell me if I'm wrong. But repeaters are going to be static. You cannot triangulate something with two static sites. You would need three static sites in which you could do a differential over those three signal strengths and approximate, you know, a, a location or one or two, uh, two set or sorry, you need three static sites or two sites, but one of them has to be mobile. So if he had one static repeater and a repeater or a base station with him that he can monitor for signal strength, they could triangulate like that. It would be most accurate if he had the two repeaters plus a mobile receiver himself to track down the signal. But 
that's my criticism of they do not do a good job. If you want to see a better job of triangulation, you can fire up Independence Day with Jeff Goldblum. They triangulate in that. I think in that weird dragon movie at some point, they they use <laughs> some type of three, I don't know, uh, Reign of Fire. They do some <laughs> wild triangulation. I'm a, high, I'm a triangulation head, and I'm so glad that you and I finally started this triangulation podcast. <laughs> I agree. And this also just I can't even – Pick a better example to show the difference between you and me. You had about two full pages of notes on that. I just wrote, he triangulates her position. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's the only interesting thing in here is I like, did, can you, like, it didn't seem right to me. So yeah. I'm putting it out there. I didn't, it didn't pass my sniff test. But I was like, uh, it, but it did seem a little weird to me. I'm not the triangular, tri- triangulation expert here on our triangulation I need, I need podcast, but uh, – I was like, oh, it does seem like he's only getting two things, two points. I that, that's what I was that. I thought it's that it's either he asked for two points and he has a mobile point that he can monitor from, yeah. or but which would be the best. But he doesn't explain it like that. No. And okay, you know, and if it, and if you were asking that and had a mobile, you would probably just be like, just give me one repeater that can measure this, and then use the mobility of one clearly, to, clearly to do the math. All right, that's what I would do. All right. And at this point, we get Dennis Miller as Alan. For clarity, we'll call him Alan. Uh, he shows up in a BMW, and this guy seems like a real treat. Uh, Alan, who's played by Dennis Miller, who's playing Dennis Miller. Oh, <laughs> Every totally. movie Dennis Miller's in. This is exactly the character that he played a year before in Disclosure, which is, I think, a better hacking movie. <laughs> <laughs> And somehow maybe more up to date because at least the the co star that so you know you've seen Disclosure right I've seen Disclosure I believe I've also read the book Disclosure okay so oh Michael Crichton so uh, Disclosure famously stars uh, Demi Moore and a CD Rom that's right <laughs> all right uh, so he show he picks her up. And he's laying it on as like, uh, basically, this guy plays a th- her previous therapist that seemingly used her vulnerability oh. and father issues to suck her into a relationship. And somehow, sh- he is the only person she can rely on in this film. It's really... Uh, I don't know. I don't like this, this situation. She gave him a laptop as a gift. So maybe he's also trying to, <laughs> it seems like an extravagant gift. So <laughs> I don't know about that either, but she wants, she wants him to take her to a hotel and he seems ecstatic about that idea. So at this point we cut to a guy who's pushing a shopping cart around the street, who's on the phone talking about it. So she, this is again, streets, streetwise savvy for somebody who doesn't go out of her house, streetwise savvy red teamer managed to give this guy the phone and make sure that he was using it to mess with these people. Uh, Alan gets a room. He seems, uh, basically unlikable, but does start making Gibsons immediately and he doesn't have any olives. So he wants to put antihistamines in the cocktail. I don't know. Uh, some is Yeah. Dennis Miller in this movie as Alan is 42 years old, by the way. And she's like 32. They decide as a next step that, I mean, she wants Den- uh, Alan to use his, 
uh, staff position as a psychiatrist to, to transfer her mom on his authority to a sanitarium or a different community facility so that she will be safe. Uh, Alan wants her to talk to uh, Ben, who is a friend of hers in the FBI. Um, so she's now next day ho- in the hotel with a laptop from Alan. She calls into a Swiss ISP. Seems like a expensive long distance charge to hide your source IP address by one hop. Uh, you could just call Berkeley or something. Anyway, so it has a very large font window <laughs> that she uses to sort of Telnet from. <laughs> so uh, I think people should know what Telnet is anyway. Telnet was the way that we connected to remote computers in a totally unencrypted way mm-hmm. prior to SSH becoming popular in 1995, six, seven, and pretty much universal by now. Telnet should be not anywhere you would want to see it. Um, now this, this UI, I, I'll pick on a little bit, um, just for the people that actually care about, uh, or enjoy this part the most. So it would almost definitely not allow this, like her to telnet to user at host. So the thing on the card right now, that is a valid remote command string for something like our login which was a predecessor also to SSH to like run remote commands or remotely, like it was more of the trust-based thing. Mm-hmm. Also very prevalent in the Mitnick attack to use IP spoofing and an R login uh, IP authorization list to spoof his way into Shimamura's uh, computers. Uh, that was the initial point of attack. Hmm. But this Telnet user at whatever would never work. It's just Telnet, you Telnet, it, you Telnet and connect to the socket and it comes back and prompts you for a user. I have don't know of a telnet command line tool that supported this user at host thing. And the syntax, so the syntax is a little weird there, but then also I'm not really sure what this terminal window is because it seems to be on the website and, it, and this is before even JavaScript was available. So the idea that there would be a telnet window embedded in a website is before this, the time like JavaScript came out, that year in September and was part of Netscape Navigator. She's not looking, it doesn't look to me like she's even using a real web browser. I think that they did a bunch of this kind of thick client mock-up work in props department or, uh, you know, somebody was hired to do all this stuff. It's a bit clunky. It's not totally insane is what I'm saying. This stuff is all on the edge of reality. Maybe Uh, the next part is insane. After she connects to this Naval hospital system at navdc.mil, the IP address is 57-525-4534. Dennis, anything strike you as odd about that? Mm. Uh, wait, hold on. Say that again. 57.525.45.34. 525? Yeah, way too big. Yep. Uh, this, I guess, if you're doing the movie or break, is their 555-1212, right? Like this is their... <laughs> Their way to fake IP addresses is to make an octet bigger than possible. So, do you think that that was actually intentional? Is- that they're actually trying to stop people from trying to access these IPs? I would think that that is giving this movie a if it, lot of. If credit. I was the technical advisor on the movie, there is like demonstration IP space that even doesn't look like RFC eighteen nineteen. There's a couple other RFCs out there that would be more than enough to choose from that are for like documentation purposes or something like that. So that's what I would have done, but I don't know, like. 
it's not any more silly than the five, five, five thing at, at some point. So, um, but she types the password off the back, of the business card, it doesn't work. She clicks the pie. It goes through a lot of flashy hacker stuff, brings up a password slot. This time she's in, then she immediately just, I don't know, just pops under a screen, some medical record that explains like she doesn't do anything. Yeah, it's exactly. just like the stuff flies at her. <laughs> um, so she sees a medical record that explains that the undersecretary who uh, was misdiagnosed which HIV. So the premise, which we, I think maybe we skipped in like one of these lobby TV, X, S, S, these lobby TV things is essentially this undersecretary was diagnosed with uh, HIV and or AIDS, got the news, took it uh, to the park and, and committed suicide. But get a second opinion, buddy. Like, well, he you know asked what I'm the saying? doctor at the beginning. Did you not hear He's, him? He said, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> he clearly Are you sure that this is not a second opinion? By the way, I didn't even know what the hell they were talking about. I just, that was my very first mo- note for watching this movie was just like, he's on the phone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you sure? Oh, okay. So I'm just, I'm just going to ask you this one question after all this research that you did. Are you sure? Okay. <laughs> like, who well, has ever said, are you, given are all you this? sure I have HIV? Yeah. Also, I think that, um, I don't know, I can, I, I guess they tie it later and they soften the idea that this guy, that we even should care about this guy because they call him, basically, he's a homophobe. Yes. So we don't, yeah, like, I don't know. No, is there a good guy in this movie, Dennis? <laughs> All these people, like, okay, uh, I, I'm, we'll, we'll do an assessment at the end. Before we wrap this podcast up, I want to play who is the good guy in this movie game. <laughs> All right. So we then hear some modem handshake noise at the end of this thing for some reason. I think it's just uh, aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes like audio aesthetic. And the camera follows a phone line down to the floor. Very artistic stuff. Very artistic. Um, okay. Now, Alan. Oh, sorry. No, now I'm getting super confused because my word says Dennis because I was calling this guy British Dennis. Then I thought it was Dennis Miller. <laughs> and now <laughs> the, it's Hitman Jack is driving around with a power book and a Bond sweater in L.A. Am I the only person? I mean, I guess winter in L.A. is I guess we're supposed to be. That's the time. But he's got like a special service sweater, like this black, almost turtleneck looking sweater. It's actually kind of cool. I would like if if they made one of those in my side and it fit well, I'd get there. Um, and he's using a piece of software called trace utility packet analyzer. I can't make sense of what this thing does or is, <laughs> but <laughs> he's got to have, like we talked about it from the card, no matter what it is, it's pretty lousy connectivity. Best at case I'm saying 1200 baud over cellular. And it's also a mix of like, I don't know, is this thing tracing trace routing things or, or sniffing packets I mean, both existed, don't know. A packet analyzer would just be like decoding packets. I don't know. Honestly, someone calls him with all of the information that he does anything about comes from a phone conversation he has with, every, with somebody else. So it's it doesn't matter what he's doing because he's constantly getting called to and just ordered to do stuff. So this, the phone tech, probably the same guy who's working with phone, she's on a Swiss pop. POP stands for point of presence. That's you used to have point of presence point of presences in different places so that to reduce long distance usage. So if you were like an ISP in Illinois, you might have a point of presence in Hannibal, you might have a point of presence in Quincy, you might have a point of presence in uh Keokuk, 
Kirksville, um, Pike County. This is a um, tri-state Illinois, Missouri, Iowa podcast, correct? <laughs> correct, yes. She's hopping through the Swiss pop to a Unix box in Montana, which, I mean, almost all of the boxes she would be hopping through at this time would have been Unix boxes, <laughs> I would think. Uh, five different routers at Berkeley. Feasible, but maybe you should pick. I mean, it seems like five different routers at Berkeley. Um, unnecessary? Yeah. Right down so maybe there. throw in a USC. I don't know. Just you keep it in California if you want. It'll take 15 minutes to trace where she's at, although it seems like they've really cut through the first half of her trace route pretty quick. And what about the other matter, Mr. Devlin? Oh, I handled that free of charge. We didn't. This is an off-screen sabotaging. Cut to Alan at the pharmacy getting a prescription filled. Uh, Sandy has a, a window. Now we cut back to Sandy B in her hotel. She's got a window open called Unix shell. Doesn't look at all like a window shell or a Unix shell. So she does a who is on Iceman. The Unix man who is does not look up who people are. I guess this is supposed to infer about it's like the IRC who is, although she's not using IRC in the graphics. So it's just a little wrong, but not terribly wrong the unix command the who is command on unix looks up domain registration information mm -hmm. uh iceman's 12 years old <laughs> which by the way none of these who is would have said that this guy was 12 years old <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also if it did she couldn't trust that okay so then uh she does a couple more lookups she looks up gandalf who we have not seen at all maybe he was cut out of the chat i don't know but Gandalf is not in that initial chat, but he Gandalf lives in India. And then who is Cyber Bob? Cyber Dennis, do you, do you like this part? Uh, I like the who is part. I found it believable. I think that the Gandalf uh, cut thing is probably Gandalf was the one that was maybe talking about the breakfast at Tiffany's. So we, you know, that, that one cut. My I think you're right. I think that they trimmed down that initial boring chat scene because it is boring and they cut out. Probably that thing, right? Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. Editing thing. So Robert Fox, cyber wh ca. So I don't know how he's getting a ca dot ca domain uh, host name to himself, but he's so close. He's he's like his IP is seventy five two fifty eight thirty four one sixty four. Closer, closer. We're only. Uh, three decimals off on the second odd tech between that being a real address. And it's actually not that far off of one of my IP addresses really right now. Okay. <laughs> so again, this is, uh, not, not quite, but it, do it doesn't look distractingly uh, bad to me. Uh, when I look at there's, uh, there's other stuff does, this is the least important criticism. So she's looking for help. She sends a message to cyber Bob who happens to live in LA are all the people at this chat supposed or at on this chat room supposed to be hackers? They're not talking about computers ever in the chat that we see, but most people are not hackers. Is that fair to say? Yes. <laughs> and most people at the time that use computer were not hackers. So the fact that she's just in a chat room and there happens to be this Robert Fox who knows a lot about this Praetorian group apparently. So that's the conversation that happens next is he knows that Pi is Praetorian. Cyberbot explains they're cyber terrorists, bad news, very dangerous. He's got the inside scoop. He wants to meet in real life. Dennis, I don't know. I mean, we never meet this guy. Uh, but 
I'm not sure she should have been meeting this guy in real life anyway. So, and by the way, yeah, he probably was going to turn out to be another 12-year-old just like yeah. uh, Iceman was. Well, he's got his own apartment. Hmm. I mean, we don't know. Uh, <laughs> and so Sandy spells it out for the, world, uh, for the world the first time. She spells out the acronym IRL in real life. We didn't know that. Trendsetter. Yeah. Probably, maybe that wasn't even a thing before this movie. So uh, uh, Sandy wants to meet him at the Santa Monica Pier, which is outside of her window. She can see it. Busy, public, lots of people. Cyberbob is stoked to meet with his crush here. 7 p.m. It's on. Modem drops. Bit more screen flashing. Not sure what that's about. And then uh, Hitman Jack is driving around aimlessly at this point. <laughs> He's got their... Pol- their, their Polaroid from dinner that he bought from the waitress up on the visor like they just went to prom. <laughs> <I don't- laughs> so he gets the ad- an address for Cyberbob. Uh, Alan takes a pill, swigs it with a Coke. Uh, nice little Coke product placement there. And so w- these are all cutscenes. So <laughs> Hitman Jack's driving around looking for people. Alan's driving around drinking a Coke. And Sandy B is making sure her hair is perfect for Cyberbob. She gets a call. No one on the line. Somebody's checking to see if she's in the room, I guess. Mm. I think so. I think they're trying yeah. to yeah, place her. Alan shows up with Chinese food. Mom is at the county ser- sanitarium. And Alan is pushing her to go get Greek food in the middle of all this, even though he just brought Chinese food. I mean, what are you going to just throw the Chinese food away? That's going to stink up that hotel room. There's probably not a fridge. You know, fridges weren't that big back then. And she, so he wants to go get Greek food. And then tomorrow morning, she'll meet the buddy. And Sandy pushes back and says, Cyberbob figured it out. He knows what he's doing. Alan rightfully makes fun of Cyberbob and the handle Cyberbob specifically. (laughs) And Hitman Jack is outside now of Cyberbob's house. Uh, illustrated with a little Cyberbob sticker. So his little uh, icon. Um, yeah, he's not really things? doing a good job of like remaining anonymous. No, he's, he's not low-key at all. I mean, he he's on the WhoWiz database for IRC, registering with his real name. He's putting his address in there. And then he confirms it up with a little icon sticker on his call box, apartment call box. Um, okay, so now Alan and Angela are driving around and this is probably 30 minutes after he took the uh, medicine. And she explains, and I do not understand a bunch of where she, she just does not have this figured out, but she's explaining it like she figured it out. So they killed Dale for what he knew. And now they think she has the program. Okay. Maybe that's okay, but they killed Dale for what he knew. And they, but they think you have the pro. I don't. They just want to kill you for what you know. Do they even care about the disc? I mean, I don't. What do you, I don't know. I yeah. I think. I think that they need this disc back, right? And they Why? certainly want to kill her. Why do they need the disc? They need it to just make sure that it's not getting spread around further, right? Because apparently, if you have this disc, you just click a button and you're logged into whatever systems that they can log in. Like, there's no user <laughs> to get into this thing. Yeah. Well, there is that password on the back of the business card. But that password. Sometimes there's a password. Didn't that? Pa- I know. No. <laughs> Inconsistently, there's Inconsistently, a but I actually have a note on that is that I feel like that password, the password, quote unquote, was really a file number, which, what, which I think wasn't that 
like the file number for the the, the oh. fake HIV diagnosis. That maybe it was both. Again, yeah. I, it's it was hard for me to watch because it did bring up a password thing. What no, did you it type did, in and the then I noticed field? that in the password field, like because the password field was cl- clear text. I feel like once she got by that dialogue and it was presenting the information to her, the patient file was equal to the password. I think. That oh, you know what? This could be a bit of the like username equals password thing, and all these hacker movies we've been watching. Yeah. Maybe in this case. File names are the password name. I think. But we also have to Which be very cautious whenever I feel very adamant about a fact in my movie review at nine out of ten times. No, you did good. Wrong. No, nobody comes to you for any level of accuracy for anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Uh, all right. So they would want – okay. And then she goes on to explain they put somebody in her place at Cathedral to get rid of any traces there. So – Somebody hired Cathedral to debug Mozart's ghost, and they found in this. I don't get it. Who made Mozart's ghost? I agree. It does not make sense at all how Mozart's ghost ended up with the backdoor code in it. Because yeah, like that would have to it, insinuate is it a that virus the, yeah, that the, attached itself. To Mozart, like, why would Praetorian ever design their secret exploit of the... So, okay, let's crack open this thing. Okay. The Gatekeeper Firewall is produced by the Greggs Corporation or something like that. And the CEO wants to get a whole bunch of corporations to be using this security software. So he does two things. One, he kills the Undersecretary of Defense... We can only assume because that guy was pushing back on government organizations in the adoption of this software. Yes. So that's green lighting some of the things once he's out of the way. And then he's sold the gatekeeper software to some firms and then is using the Praetorian exploit against gatekeeper to build the hype train of hacker stuff while then trying to come it, that part doesn't make sense to me because okay or 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 here's the thing maybe the praetorian group is somehow breaking in and causing all these things to generate adoption for the gatekeeper software separately but gatekeeper also has a backdoor in it so that Greg's can control more things. I guess that's what it's got to be. That is exactly what it is. But that is really hard to figure out what all of these little fake blips and blobs do together. So what does so Praetorian is some type of auto router, right? That little backdoor code mm-hmm. is essentially the Metasploit, it knows 100 vulnerabilities, 1,000 vulnerabilities, cycles through them, and breaks into a lot of stuff. And like it can just break into the Mayo. It can break into, what was the other thing? Amtrak. So it, and they're using that to drum up business for their premier firewall product. But the firewall product, also they have a backdoor in because they use that to manipulate all these government records. So I don't know. It's a long walk. I think... I think that basically it's just they do some sort of hack, right? They just some sort of hack not involving gatekeeper so that it can just 
bolster their case to go sell Gatekeeper to a company yeah, where they, they want access. I, okay. I mean, if if anybody has thought about this enough, and I mean, we could have very well thought about this more than the people writing and implementing this movie, but it would not be logical to be using a backdoor in Gatekeeper to drum up business to Gatekeeper because pretty quickly somebody would say, okay, well, Wall Street just got hacked. They had Gatekeeper software. No, that's Screw exactly gatekeeper. exactly. You're exactly that right. That cannot be true. So the yeah. first step is for a company without Gatekeeper just to experience some sort of security hack. Okay? Right. Okay. Then evil CEO comes in, sells them Gatekeeper security software. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then that's just their... Um, but also has a backdoor in it. That's correct. Right. It's got the backdoor. Okay. So that's what gives them the, you know, the APT, right? They just use that. And then they like the Mozart ghost is just the. Ghost. It's Mozart's ghost. <laughs> it's the wildest bit on the internet. Okay. Explain what Mozart's ghost is. It's a backdoor virus that attaches. I don't, what is Mozart's ghost? I just view Mozart's ghost as being like the command and control central part of it. Right. It's like, oh, okay, here you go. You log into one thing, Mozart's but ghost. How and did now it become about- embedded Oh, I, why I, did that they write make this sense to me. exploit totally right. code? And and then seemingly the people that put it into Mozart's Ghost did not expect a commercial QA vendor to find the Futz keystroke. That's what we've got. That's the the uh, apple we got to chew on. And she didn't even do it. Dale did. So again, yeah, she Dale didn't do any hacking or anything. Dale oh, told yeah, her sure. to command shift click it. And then she did, and she saw this stuff, but Dale is the person that discovered this, not her. Yeah, Dale was looking at the binary workflow, and he noticed that the event handler had some weird state in it, right? And put it together what it was, and then tested it, and it it launched all this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. But we don't know who, why, or how. I guess we, I mean, Praetorian had to invent the auto-rooter. Right? No, you don't think so. Um, you don't know who. Who made that thing? They must have. And then they let it, they hit it for some reason in Mozart's Ghost for no, I mean, no explicable reason could exist that they would put it and then send Mozart's Ghost to a to cathedral to be commercially beta tested and debugged. It, that does it not just make sense. Does not, it makes very limited sense. Uh, unless... They needed to sneak it into somebody's job so that they made and produced a bunch of media so they could get the auto router out there more. No? With some like wave two? Who knows? I don't know why they okay. would want multiple copies of the auto router, but um <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she brings up and then she so she's still explaining this. I think we did a better job of explaining it. And then she brings up what convinces Alan that she's telling the truth is the whole thing about the undersecretary. I don't know why that convinces them. That seems like also the thing to just be like, yeah. uh, it seems like they took a big leap that they screw with his medical record and he ends up taking the action he took so quickly. That seems to me like a while. Again, it's like messing with the instrument panel in the plane. They have shown that they're willing to just shoot somebody in the face. Why do they go through i guess because it's the perfect crime but there's still this evidence here whatever at this point alan 
<laughs> looks like me accidentally eating a pig trotter. <laughs> like he starts coughing, <laughs> like he doesn't know what's going on. Uh, but he's having some type of anaphylactic response. He manages to pull over just a little bit on the curb. Uh, and we go to the hospital and somebody has, rep- we, the doctor's diagnosis is that he was allergic to penicillin and, uh, had an allergic reaction to that. So somebody had swapped out the, um, and this guy's apparently got nasty allergies, but doesn't know what his allergy medicine looked like. So he ate penicillin. So she goes to his room. He wakes up, says he's starving. If you get your stomach pumped, I've never had my stomach pumped, but I've been intubated uh, to have my, I've been under like general anesthesia to have my wisdom teeth out. My throat was super sore, sore. And I can't even imagine that he would be thinking about food after getting his stomach pumped, but I don't know. Uh, like, you know, you're just like, you don't even want to talk, let alone, I, it's, it's kind of, yeah. So pretty sure you're, uh, okay, so I'm, he's still hitting on her, like even under this situation. So she's got to go. She cut to the Santa Monica Pier. Seems to be ripe with like these, uh, what do you call these like mascots, like fur, full fur? Like, I just wrote down Chuck E. Cheese here. <laughs> yeah, my... but like go to, oh man. Oh, they're like uh, like the foam rubber. Theme park animals or like they're, they're theme park mascots or yeah. whatever. Like, but they're all like physically assaulting her, yes. which I have heard is kind of a real thing for like attractive women to, to, uh, or, I mean, just maybe to anybody to get kind of physically, uh, like, I think that there's a history of mascots like this acting inappropriately. So it seems like it does, is kind of accurate to me. Mm, <laughs> uh, but I, they don't, I don't think necessarily they're trying to portray that in the movie. Anyway, back in the hospital room, somebody is cyber murdering Alan for like the third time. Uh, <laughs> so, the, uh, and at the Ferris wheel, cut, so that cuts be, between these two scenes. At the Ferris wheel, Angela's looking for Cyber Bob, but good old Jack the Hitman shows up. And Jack tells her it was, it was like a hard job to even kill her because he's so attracted to her. I'm sure she loves this. This is only. The only thing more creepy about him doing this is the first time he picked her up when he said that he liked breakfast at Tiffany's and was the cat out of the blue. Those two things are the <laughs> are competing for creepiest line of the movie. Anyway, so they talk about uh, – I don't even know what this is. Oh, Bergstrom, who is the undersecretary. Uh, that's the one time I used that guy's name. And they kind of, like I said, they soften that guy's death by uh, telling us that he was a, a homophobe. So he starts taking her away and the stuffed mascot bumps into her, then tangles up with the hitman. So she gets like a little sprint of distance. She's about 20 feet away. They play a little cat and mouse game. This guy is, she is like hiding in a, what's the horse's thing? Is that a Ma- carousel? Yeah, a merry-go-round or a carousel, yeah. Okay, so she's on a, carousel there's children riding it and she somebody is shooting at her and her instinct is to ride to this to run to the center of a bunch of small children in which she is still getting shot at human so, shield tiny human shields sandy b yeah uh it's a little bit unclear she gets some distance she gets away next morning security guard knocks on the window of alan's bmw to wake her up so she's got alan's bmw this is my favorite thing she does so we draw out and she pulls out of a BMW dealership. This is the best hack in the movie. Is she, in order to not get disturbed or not be suspicious while sleeping in a BMW, she parked at a BMW dealership. That's the best hack in the movie. <laughs> oh my God. I'm like remiss to say that I, I, I that nuance didn't, I did not pick up on. Oh, I love that. Uh, 
So she's driving on uh, Pacific Coast Highway. It gets real rainy. I think to simplify the dolly shoot and visual effects of the movie. I think the rain that's makes it easier <laughs> for them to do like rear projection. Cause then they can just turn on the hoses and they don't have to have any scenery. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the only reason I think that there's rain. So she takes a call on the car phone. It's Hitman Jack. And he calls to taunt her a bit. And the call seems pretty pointless. I don't understand. He actually calls and tells her, that he's at her mom's uh, uh, care center, but her mom is not there, so he can't do anything. Like, uh, you're this guy. Why are you calling her at this point? Also, doesn't that seem a little out of character for them already to have left that dangling loose end? Like, by the time they, they stole her identity, they deleted her from, from existence. They've sold her car or stolen her car. They sold her house. They don't touch the mom until now? Like they leave it to Well, him. that was she did at least put some urgency on Alan the first time she got a hold of him to move the mom. So we, I guess and it's not like these it's not like these Praetorian people have the they're not like super good at being whatever they are. <laughs> so <laughs> they're making a lot of mistakes. I think that's excusable. I, no. At no point has this group of people demonstrated any type of competence in their execution of this plan so i believe that she is outsmarting them okay or out averaging them (laughs) (laughs) uh it looks like she sprains her ankles about so it's super rainy she's a really bad driver (laughs) uh she drives she just drives into a ditch when people she gets tried to somebody tries to pull over she drives in the ditch she then gets out and again she's like the 10th like sprint that she does in the movie. And she looks like she's about to sprain her ankle 10 times on this very short run. <laughs> like I'm like, Oh my God, ankle, ankle, ankle. So central booking fingerprint match, Ruth Marks, prostitute, larceny, larceny. I should just say theft. It's easier to say that than larceny. <laughs> uh, it's got narcotics. And then it's always got the mother. I don't know if your criminal record has like how your mom died on it. I'm not sure if that's included, but it's there and hers. So our whole world is, and then uh, our whole world is sitting there on a computer, everything, DMV, social security. This reminds me of like when uh, uh, in sneakers, the guy was just naming markets and I just, (laughs) it's like computer, everything, DMV, social security, medical history. It's all right there. And she's talking to her public defender and it's just begging for somebody to screw with it. And the public defender explains that the state of California is unhackable because it's protected by the gatekeeper security program. It's guys, it's software security, not secure software, right? Not, no. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, the gatekeeper uh, chief marketing officer deserves a big race because all throughout this movie in the background news uh, uh, clips and things like that are just dripping exposition. I, you know film. what? Everyone it, is naming this Dennis, software, and everyone Dennis, knows it. Yes. There's no way we can tell that until we check the 1996 Gartner Magic Quadrant <laughs> for <laughs> firewall gatekeeping devices. Some I don't know which Magic Quadrant to check, but uh, yeah. Okay, 
So she calls her mom just to make things real sad for everybody. <laughs> um, oh, her mom, obviously, like, it's not like she calls her mom to authenticate her over the phone. Like, what? Come on. I don't. It's just oh, a yeah. emotional. Hey, by thing. the way, you don't believe who I am? Let me call up my mom with dementia and she'll prove it. Yeah. Yeah. And she says, hey, I know that you don't know who this is, but can you tell this person that I'm your, like, what yeah, is that? That was be? not the best phone a friend option in this scenario. Yeah. So she gets sprung. Hey, it's Ben Phillips. Uh, Alan's from the FBI. And at some point, this guy mentions, oh, it's the disc that started this all. Ben is pressing her and says, hey, where's the disc? Where's the disc? And he says, uh, did you make a copy of it before it get destroyed? Boom. She knows. She puts it together. I only told Killer Jack, Hitman Jack, that the disc was destroyed. So she starts at this point trying to wreck their car and this I have a connection to. She's using her left foot to press on the accelerator. I used to do this to my best friend when we were growing up, <laughs> like driving around town. He had like an old Buick that had no partition between the passenger footboard and the driver footboard. So I would like push the pedals sometimes. Uh, and some, somehow she manages to actually crash in of all the people in the oh. world, of all the things she could crash into. It's a, LA is a city of <laughs> 9 million people at this point. There's no coordination for us to understand that Ben was even driving to meet Jack. Mm -hmm. But somehow when she's wrecking this car, she wrecks into Jack Devlin, <laughs> Hitman Extraordinary. I love this. The only thing I loved more than that was that right as she's, about to crash in there and she unbuckles the fake FBI agent seatbelt. He just yells, My seatbelt! And then <laughs> it crashes into Jack's car and dies. So, yeah, this is how many people has she murdered at this point? Just this guy uh, or a couple? I mean, I mean, indirectly, Alan, maybe. <laughs> definitely indirectly, Alan. Cyberbob. You could say oh, yeah, that. Maybe Cyber she's Bob too. Cyber Bob. There's a lot of people in her wake. But she straight up on kills this guy out of malice. Yeah. Uh she runs away, uh, escapes over a lift bridge on the that uh, that's kind of a cool thing. I wish I would have seen more of this like cool oh the guy I mean the guy like literally that's a good stuntman drive up this lift bridge. I like that. Like it looks like this stuntman could have gone over oh, dippy top. Totally. I mean, yeah, that that definitely one wheel went over the edge of that thing. Yeah, so she ends up at a dodgy motel. More Greg on TV. So Greg, this he's selling security software. He's in the he's pushing to get into the leader innovator quadrant. <laughs> I don't know what they are. Uh, the TV helps us out on the plot. Finally, somebody does. The points out that the secretary had been from the beginning oppo opposed to the. Okay, you're saying it's called gatekeeper. Here I have a note that says guardian soft. Maybe it's like guardian gatekeeper. Maybe they call it both things. Maybe it's a suite or package. I don't know. Sandy goes to the corporate headquarters for Cathedral, which I think is in San Francisco. I'm not sure at what point she made it to San Francisco. Maybe she was driving Alan's car up and got as far as San Francisco and then got thrown in the San Francisco jail. Hmm. Don't know. She sits down at the terminal Okay, so she's at Cathedral Headquarters. So the company that was hired to debug the Mozart's Ghost, hey, it's Mozart's Ghost uh, software. She goes 
to her, basically to her company. She sits down at an empty desk, disables, immediately disables the echo software at the terminal she's on. And she uses Mozart's ghost or tries to use it, but it goes into some type of access control. Um, and then she calls Angela, the fake Angela, trying to figure out where she is and what cubicle she's in. So that's why do I say I have a cubicle story? Oh, so when she brings up this computer view, it has a map of all the cubicles. Mm -hmm. Like that's how the network is laid out. That I don't think is a true story, but I did once write software that correlated network ports to cubicles. So in uh, 2002, 2003, I was a consultant working on a, I was working on a contract at Best Buy corporate headquarters in Richfield, Minnesota. And they passed a no hubs or switches at the desk policy. Okay. So I wrote a piece of software to look at every port that had more than one Mac address indicating that there was more than one thing plugged into a single port. Mm-hmm. And then I used a separate database or it was a spreadsheet somebody had produced that mapped all the switch ports to the network drops, which were also named after the cubicles. So every morning it generated a list of all the cubicles that had stuff plugged in. And these like two, we called them switch goons. (laughs) These two guys at the IT department walked around and we stacked up these hubs. It was impressive how many we st- we took out of cubicles. <laughs> it was, and then my, my thing also sent them an email that said, "Hey, a network device has been removed from your cubicle. Uh, please contact this person if it's a personal device and get it back and don't plug it back in." So I did actually once. I don't think that this is a thing that most software like this network thing would be tied to cubicle, but I did once have to do that. Wow. Um, fake Angela, uh, reports into Praetorian HQ. So they have this little cat and mouse game. They talk fake Angela calls in, uh, to Praetorian HQ while really engineer Angela snoops her terminal. Angela has access to the building fire control. So real Angela has access to the build, uh, building fire control. She sets off a fire alarm. Everyone, including uh, including reluctant fake Angela, has to leave. And real Angela then goes and uses fake Angela's workstation to get access to Mozart's ghost. Hopefully, you guys followed. Uh, it goes. It's the the real Angela versus fake Angela thing is almost as complicated as all of the Dennis's in the story. Uh, it goes to the she. So she accesses Mozart's ghost. It spits her out to the Department of Atomic Energy. I think is what it says, but then she clicks the pie and all of a sudden she's like in the LAPD records database. I don't understand <laughs> how these things are getting routed together, but she clicks the pie, brings up the terminal echo to get the password. Oh, maybe before she didn't successfully get to use, I mean, she saw the medical record, but in this case, in order to use Mozart's goes, she had to get the password. I'm still a little, uh, yeah, I'm not fuzzy. 100% sure when or when you n- don't type a password into Mozart's ghost. Unclear to me. Um, and also is like all of their authentication. Like she it's had, icon that, she had to go to, you have to click the pie icon to authenticate, you know, to, to prove that she was Angela Bennett. Right. So 
like is there no concept of users like just whatever you like your workstation is your user like that is your account it's somehow innately tied to the workstation that you're like why didn't she just log out of the open workstation that she found and log in as angela bennett actually you know at the time you can make an argument that net like land networks like this maybe didn't even have authentication mm. you know maybe it was just like screensaver passwords at best like there wasn't a ton of like like the domain controller concept and things like that weren't in widespread use yet mm. okay yeah but I agree with you. It, it doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, she's prompted for the password for the medical thing. She enters in what we think was the file number. And here there's... Um, yeah, here she nebulous. definitely wants to use the terminal echo yes. to get to, to go back in the log and pull the password out. So she kind of does that. Uh, she steps away and she watches the fire trucks for like 20 minutes while she should be just hacking and finishing <laughs> this thing. I don't know why. It's like, yeah, okay. Um so she then gets a message from like a user named Praetorian and she runs a who is and it comes back with 23.75, that 3.55, that 200. And she does an IP search, some more gobbledygook that doesn't make any sense. We see sort of a trace route, sort of a trace route. <laughs> it looks like she's cracking the, the code like octet by octet, like working yes, style. Yes. And the, in the IP and then all of a sudden, uh, Praetorian is Jeff Gregg, the CEO of Guardian Software. Okay, the software company is called Guardian. The CEO is Jeff Gregg, and the product is called Gatekeeper. That is my authoritative stance on that. I don't think, I think Guardian, I don't know. I don't remember a Guardian. I said, Dennis, do you want to be wrong again? Dennis, do you want to <laughs> I be do wrong not. again? I do not. All I okay. wanted to say was though, doesn't the, in the who is doesn't when she run the who is or like right on the initial like fake trace route thing that she's doing, like the username Greg pops up. So like that doesn't yeah. give it away to her. Oh, I don't anyway, know. <laughs> go ahead. All right. There's a lot of Gregs out there. Uh, okay. Angela then sets out to copy Mozart's ghost onto a new, this time blue, floppy, hightails it. Uh, I don't see her grab the red floppy off of Dale's desk. Do you? Yes, Did I miss she that? She missed oh, it. She opens it? Okay. up she opens up a drawer and in there is the FedEx envelope that she had sent to him. And so she okay. retrieves a red disc from there. Okay. So at this point, fake Angela comes back in, sees her terminal unlocked, open. Uh, I also once had this problem too. So I was supposed to do a maintenance at a job and I was a consultant. And I needed a system to access. And the guy, instead of logging out, they got the system I was supposed to use, instead of logging out, was logged in and locked. So I power cycled his machine. And the next morning when I logged out of it, he came in and it was he was a little of a huff. And it's like, hey, dude, you were supposed to unlock that machine or log out of the machine so I could log in with my creds, right? Yeah. What do you think? He's in the wrong, You're, right? He's in the wrong. Okay, good. That was about 20 years ago that that happened. <laughs> so <laughs> fake Angela realizes... Yeah, you've... <laughs> fake, I'm going to put you in contact with him. Fake Angela realizes what happened, called in security. They decide to go after her, her... Then decides to... So she calls it into Cathedral Security and says there's been a break-in, but then she just runs after herself. I don't know. Angela slinks away in a firearms, a fireman uniform that is conveniently designed for a 5'7", 100-pound female. 
Yeah, who's wearing like mom jeans, by the way, too. Because she only didn't she only stole the jacket and the the helmet. Oh yeah. She would look ridiculous no matter what. Anyway, uh so Dennis shows up. See, or sorry, yeah, Hitman Jack shows can. up, <laughs> sees the Obi-Wan clothes fireman outfit on the ground. It says, clever girl. No, he, he doesn't he say said it, that earlier in the movie, though. He says that when he drives by the homeless guy with the cell phone that she gave to him. Right. Gotcha. Uh, okay. So now I guess OPSEC for the, all of these people is out the window, Angela and Hitman. Uh, Angela is being chased by fake Angela, Hitman, Jack. So there's another foot chase. This time it's on Angela's turf because she's headed to a computer convention at the Moscone Center, which I've never been to. Is that where they do RSA? That's where they do RSA. That's where I was at. Ah, yeah, that was- that's where you had in the peak outbreak. Exactly. Of that's correct. That was like the last work thing I got to do. Uh, Angela goes to the cathedral booth. Okay. You have one chance to evade capture. (laughs) There's hundreds of computer companies, all with the latest and greatest computer technology. What's the one booth you go to, Dennis? (laughs) The company that the guy who's trying to kill you knows that you work for. Everybody works. Yeah, it's her company. So she goes to the cathedral booth to use the disk to break into the FBI and finally, at least at this point, we get to see somebody send a damn email attachment. I didn't think it would happen, but she <laughs> sends a copy of Mozart's Coast via attachment. Think of this FedEx bill that you could save when you come in and just be like, oh, guys, we could just attach this. We don't have to FedEx this floppy around. I mean, it's just a Meg, right? <laughs> We've got T3 line. It's 1995, and we're a big company in San Francisco. You know, we're, we've got some serious bandwidth here. Uh, so she tries to insert the floppy uh, upside down. <laughs> Is that true? Did she try to put it in upside down she did. the wrong way first? Yes. Uh, not a problem that I've ever had with the floppy disk. This is a problem that maybe we, she's ahead of her time because Indeed. I have never once on the first attempt managed to install a, any type of USB a connector, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, floppy does not so much floppy copies way too fast. Now we're used to seeing the stressful copy. This thing is like oh, burning. Yeah. So then she puts in the red floppy hitman. Jack shows up logs back into the FBI and he starts telling, telling cause he's also a hacker and a hitman and a boat driver. And I guess he's not very good at Marine radio, but you know, he's got a lot of skills, but he seems to really know what's going on. Uh, I, at this point I'm thinking maybe he is Praetorian himself, but then just the one Praetorian guy that'll actually also show up and kill people. And that he was talking to, uh, guardian slash gatekeeper on the phone was maybe the people that he was like, that one's free of charge or whatever. So Dennis says, as soon as he logs out, everything will revert. All he's got to do is hit the escape key. Convenient because the red floppy disk is a piece of software. Also a lot too much correlation of a floppy disk being software. Like the software is on the floppy disk. Right. Exactly. And so I, I totally agree with you. Also, like he uses the term escaping the system, like 
to describe mm-hmm. the action of hitting the escape key, which I had never, ever heard of uh, that yeah. phrase. And right. also, she had gone into the FBI database, made a whole bunch of changes, put her life back to normal, right? Mm-hmm. Saves it. And the idea is that like the logic behind that has been coded into the FBI database is if the escape key is hidden, somehow go back and undo all, some unknown series of transactions <laughs> that have been previously committed. So. Yeah, it's like the perfect control Z. Yeah, <laughs> or, or, you know, like uh, which undo. Yeah, I mean, it's ahead of its time on the undo thing too. So, uh, anyway, boom! It's the virus from the first scene. It eats. It eats not only that computer he's on somehow chews up the mainframe that they're dialed into <laughs> behind it. So anyway, they're the. I think that this is the seventeenth foot chase in the movie. They all run into the boiler room, and Hitman Jack. Uh, doesn't demonstrate great hit mannery no. when he accidentally shoots his fake Angela colleague. Oh. <laughs> they kind of gloss over that. It's like, oh, buddy. Um, real Angela's on the run. Her jacket gets caught, and I don't know what the why. Why do they have this thing where her jacket just so he knows which direction she went? I don't know either. Uh, so- or are they just trying to get? I mean, Sandy like B some... into a midriff instead of, I mean, is this, oh, it could be, is this what's going on? I don't know. Now that you say that. Okay. Yeah. Come on guys. Just, just let her be a computer QA analyst. That's attractive enough. Right. Dennis. Absolutely. Her jacket gets caught. Dennis in the world's tiniest <laughs> hitman Jack and the world's tiniest suppressor <laughs> is walking over to the catwalk. Uh, she scoots back to the hallway after he kind of walks. So it's like a kind of a, square circle type of catwalk and he comes out on the catwalk. She scoots back. He runs after her and instead of shooting her, he could have just shot her. Like he's proved his marksmanship when he uh, murdered fake Angela from about 50 yards in an errant <laughs> friendly <laughs> fire incident. So we know the guy is somewhat accurate, but, uh, I don't instead, know, but he walks way too close. But anyway, well, uh, he had to dodge spinning children on the carousel. <laughs> you, and, think you know, I mean, man, Jack cares about spinning children. <laughs> I, it's hard to shoot spinning things regardless if they're in between children or not. So anyway, so he comes way you, if you have a gun, do not come within fire. I call it fire extinguisher distance within the person you're trying to murder. So she ends up turning the tables, murders him with a fire extinguisher. Somehow movie basically is over. Wait, wait, Somehow wait, that on. also, okay. When they're sort of having this dramatic moment and he's walking toward, like she reveals herself in the doorway. He's like, he says to her, I knew that you'd do the right thing. Meaning like the the right thing in his mind is like, yes, you, please just come out and stand in the doorway and let me shoot you now. That's the right thing. I don't know. Like, that line made no I, sense I just think me. that this movie, I mean, that makes, that makes as much sense as any other thing in this movie. Okay. Right. But here's what makes even less sense than that. Somehow this pressing the escape key and having this separate virus that was part of Wolfenstein 3D that didn't destroy Sandy B's computer in the beginning. Like, like she ran that software and her computer was totally fine. But here, this virus not only destroys the computer that it's running on, the local workstation at the cathedral booth in the Moscone Center, <laughs> to be specific, but also filters its way into the server that the web page is up on or whatever. <laughs> what is going on, Dennis? 
I don't know. Explain I guess I my ex and it undoes everything. The, the virus eating all this stuff just undoes everything. Yeah. So I think this is what happens in my brain. Okay. Number one, just to give Sandy B some some credit, I don't think that she, I don't think that she ever hits the escape key. Like, remember how you were saying that she was looking in the hex editor? Maybe she sort of observed and knew that there was a signature that it would destroy all this stuff. Like, I don't think that we see her hit escape while she's actually playing Wolfenstein. But we see the little like melty screen distortion thing. So you think she was running it at best in some type of sandbox. Oh, uh, actually. Okay. Yeah. All right. I don't know what, yeah, let's disregard that. Uh, but <laughs> you're <laughs> no, right. No, you're totally right. So, I, I mean, at best, but I'm not, I mean, man, first time I ran VMware would have been 98 or 99. So I, I'm not sure how good her sandboxing technology would have been either. Yeah. I, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So what is it, what does it actually destroy? Does it destroy? If you, the- if you were really this person, if you were really Angela and had this set up and you were working with, I guess you're a software quality person, but at this time it just seems like instead of software quality, all you do is run into these computer viruses that have randomly gotten into these code bases You'd be booting your environment off of CD mm-hmm. and like not even have a hard disk in there. That's what you would be doing. So your whole environment would be ephemeral. Mm. And if you got a virus, you just power it off, power back on. Yes. But yeah, your point about like, okay, yes, the local workstations melting down. It's always unclear to me the how the mainframe is playing into this whole... I don't need it to be perfect. I just, yeah. Uh, also, just the mainframe. It just doesn't, like, like well, how is the mainframe? Like, because you have no. Mozart's Ghost. Mozart's Ghost is in the mainframe, <laughs> Dennis. It's just it's like, okay. But, um, yeah. And then, and the, the result is that all of these chaotic pieces of software interacting in a totally new way just happens to undo everything. Okay. Theory. Kevin fixing the movie. Okay. Because that virus destroyed everything, they had to pull tape. Then the last tape backup they had was from the last full backup they had was a month ago. And then they point restored that before any of this changes happened. I guess. I mean, like this, the whole crux of like, why did they not hire access? Dennis, why did they not hire a 13 year old Kevin? To just tidy up some of these bits. I could have added one one little bit. We had to go back one month on the database uh, to get this system back up. <laughs> that's that's a quick shot to the IT tech. Like we hire Richter from War Games to come back. He's still alive at this point. I think he's still alive today. And we just throw him in there and say, guys, we're going to have to go back to the full backup from May 1st. I don't Boom. know because it's like the whole all of the security holes were in the gatekeeper product. So No, there has to be security holes in other products so they can storm up business for gatekeeper. We that is known to us and our set of authoritative net truths that you and I have established being the only people that have ever attempted to sort out the plot and or technical <laughs> adv- perspective I of this agree. movie. Those were all like, it didn't matter what they were, right? It's like, okay, you did a pen, you did a network pen test. We found something bad. We've convinced you to buy this product. Those p- original security vulnerabilities you're finding, I-, I believe are completely independent of gatekeeper and have nothing to do with it. 
Yes, but they were using Gatekeeper to mess with Angela's life. And this, I guess the other thing that we never officially said, but this movie is ahead of its time on this, like identity theft became huge. Identity theft existed, but identity theft as a very common computer crime and fraud crime really had an uptick That's in the That's a very good 90s. point. And I think so, this is another aspect of ahead of its time in supply chain attack, right? We don't know if it was ahead of time in supply chain attack because it never even hinted at where any of the software was written, produced, pushed. Well, I guess, to disc. Uh, yeah, like, because that's, this is that's like the, actively that's such malicious. A muddy, I, I would have loved for them to, sh- to have a character that worked at Mozart's ghost or to show the first scene that we have instead of this weird death scene from the undersecretary show Jack Devlin at a cubicle working on Mozart's ghost and his manager come over and says, and taking a disc off the thing real quick, takes a CD off the table and says, Hey, I'm going to send this version over to the debuggers so that we can get it in pipeline. Cause we got to press this thing on the fifth. That fixes this movie a lot because that then tells mm. us why did Mozart's ghost get to cathedral? Why is this Devlin guy even involved? He's Praetorian and he's been hiding this back door you know, on his just workstation or whatever he's been working on instead of company time. And then they've got to track down, contain the situation. That is the scene that we need. But 13 year old Kevin was not consulted on this movie, Dennis. It was all of our loss. Unfortunately, doesn't that almost fix this? Um, Kind Maybe? of. No. <laughs> I mean, like it fixes some of it. I at guess least. It, at least we know why anybody, why would they would just send this thing to the debugger? Seems like a real whiff on what's going on. Okay, let's it say makes this. No let's sense. say this. The gatekeeper, the security software company that has the back doors in it. Yes, mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. it make like? Do we think that that company is innately evil? Right, because that are that that CEO. The great yes, guy. He, there's a greedy CEO, and his motivations are clear. I hire a hacking firm to antagonize and have all these high-profile events so that I can sell them my overpriced bullshit security yes. software, which I then further use to do whatever I want to do as a, because it's got a huge backdoor on it, I guess. Yeah, we don't really know what they want to do with the backdoor stuff because it's only The only like- reason that we know that the the gatekeeper software has a backdoor is the public defender saying we are unhackable because we installed gatekeeper. That that to me indicates that there ha- that has to also be a vector for which they use to penetrate system. Absolutely. But I think right. that the Praetorian guys mm, Anyway, I think I think that the Praetorian guys are independent. Like you have it, you nailed that right. Greg is hiring the Praetorian guys to do hacking with their own tools, not related to Gatekeeper, mm-hmm. to drum up business. They installed mm-hmm. Gatekeeper, and now Greg is like, I guess he's like some super villain. He just wants to have access to everything, um, to do God knows what. Um, I guess steal all the money because there's like a point in the background news broadcast well, that are we- like. All, like all the banks except for one that was running gatekeeper were hacked and now they're like moving all their money to this one bank or something like that. Yeah. There's some weird plot. Oh yeah. So they're, they're messing with that. And also I think that, you know, I mean, it's very vile. It's, it's vile to assume that he's using uh gatekeeper to move his political interests. I think 
you know, we, we could have maybe Praetorian didn't hack the hospital with the records. Maybe gate, that was a gatekeeper customer. We don't know some of those things, right? So some of it is him abusing gatekeeper to manipulate situations. Some of them is, is him hiring Praetorian to uh, both do this hacking. And it's good that Praetorian at this point has two, two service divisions. They have their hacking bunch and they have their murdering bunch. And it's like, you can sign one sow with both of those things. So it's cool, right? Like one, one stop shopping. One neck to chop. Uh, yep. Also Praetorian in the Gardner magic quadrant for hackers slash murderers at this point. <laughs> so I think, I think we're super good on that. All right. And the final, final thing, the movie. Last scene. Last scene. What do you notice? The pie at the bottom right hand of the. Oh, one step before that. Angela's reading a book. So we cut to a scene and her mom and Angela are on a, you know, just a much nicer. It seems like an upgraded place from even the previous home. Everybody's happy. She's there or they're at like a home and she's working. She's working from home now yeah. and she's working on maybe a tech project. Um, but what did you notice a book in the scene? Uh, I didn't know what it was exactly, but she's definitely reading a four dummies book. Oh. <laughs> which. <laughs> the, uh, it was probably uh uh m- murdering for dummies how many people did she what was her body count in this movie okay well there was alan there is alan indirect a- alan indirectly she okay but should, uh, she, most of these are indirect. okay so here are the indirect people that she no, kills. but some of them are direct well she kills uh ben Hitman. directly she kills Hitman directly with the fire extinguisher. She kills Ben directly by driving. Is that only? I think is those that are the two only, only two. Although, does, did Ben really die there? Because when they put her on the news and say that she, like, they say that Ben was shot in the head, gangland style. And then it shows her <laughs> face as the person who know. did it. So maybe Ben survived. He got a back concussion. And then Devlin, before he drives off, right before they cut the scene out, shoots him. I don't know. But they definitely said that I don't know either. was shot in the head. And listen, this is the first time she's murdered two people in less than a 24-hour period. She needs some, probably some therapy. And she can't get that therapy because her... Therapist is now also dead. So she's got a lot of work to That's do. That's right. And she needs a four dummies book to get through all this emotional. Yeah. Magic. She's probably reading therapy. Uh, how to do self therapy. Yeah. For dummies. How to, how to select a new therapist after your previous therapist slash lover <laughs> has been murdered. Okay. I said something that I, for, okay. Who are the good guys in this movie? Name, name two good guys in this movie. <laughs> two good guys. And San, I mean, Sandy B. I guess that's why I made it too. I I, Sandy so, B is the protagonist. Yeah. I would argue, uh, I you know she's just a survival person. She's surviving in this movie. I don't know at different times how I mean, is she a good person. I, I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. I uh, would also say I have to nominate another person. So, hmm, Dale. I mean, Dale. No. Dale is definitely a creep because why does he want to fly to Venice to talk about this thing? He seemed, and also he's pressuring her. Like he's, he's just very 
there's no reason for Dale to open the sphere of influence onto somebody that maybe he even just a, has a healthy coworker relationship from. To me, Dale is trying to move, use this thing as a way to, to become a part of uh, Sandy's life. So Dale, no go for me. No go for you. Okay. I guess I'm kind of just, again, giving him more credit. I mean, I do not disagree with you. Those are absolutely the vibes I was getting, although mm-hmm. we may just be reading into it. But he's the one that discovers the ha- you know the, the problem in Mozart's ghost. So, but he also does not report the problem because he's not ready to, so that he can use Mozart's ghost to break into his ex-girlfriend's computer to read her email about her nude boyfriend Dave, who drives a Mazda Miata. Like you don't <laughs> come on, Dale okay, is not some a good ulterior guy. motives. All right, I'm I'm I I recant. Okay, so just she's the only. Go- I mean, the boss sucks. Uh, I mean, the second. The person that I think you're supposed to like the second most is Dennis Miller, and I find him unlikable oh, no, no, in this no. role. Yeah, he's... And he, he, this, this whole thing is, ooh, oof, oof. Um, yeah, I, I mean, is there any the mom? I mean, you feel bad for the mom. I guess she's innocent. She's if, definitely that's the best we can do is an innocent. Yeah, person. she's an innocent bystander. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. So this is the, <laughs> the last, we'll, we'll start up summer blockbuster season again and we'll, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do it <laughs> ahead of time. We'll plan it a little bit better. Maybe we'll watch the movie first and then oh <laughs> decide gosh. if we're going to do it. We had two, I think two, two solid hits movie wise. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not, not commenting on our own commentary, but I think sneakers and war games plus plus, I think, Hackers was a fun podcast because of how quirky it is. And I hope this was a listenable podcast. The movie is verging on unwatchable, especially when you try to pay attention and make sense. If you're going to watch it at all, put it on in the background while you're doing a bunch of other stuff and occasionally tune in to see the weird UIs and stuff and just be like, oh, that seems weird. Um, but then turn on the audio so it's not every five seconds. It's Mozart's Ghost! <laughs> Please make that the intro to this podcast. Uh, no, I've got to cut audio from the thing, and I'm definitely going to cut out the stuff about a weird Eastern Colorado accent as the opener. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dennis. This was, a good, this was a great time to catch up with you over the 1990. This movie made $100 million. It's 95. It was a big chunk of money, too. And just the lovable Sandy Bullock at the time. So... Uh, way to go, Sandy. Way to go. All right, Kev. This was great. I am happy right. that we have brought the summer blockbuster review to a close. Yep. Nailed it. All right. Bye. Bye.
Hey.